You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast, your podcast for all things Lord of the Rings strategy battle game. This month, our segments include our usual month in Middle-earth, where you can follow the exploits of Jeremy, Kylie, David, and myself over the last month, including a tournament, ARC 2016, run by our own Kylie, where one of the participants sitting around the table is in fact the winner, and you will find out who. We also have a Shadow in the Past, where we will be covering Shadow and Flame, one of the first, in fact, the first source book released by Games Workshop after the movie source books. Following that, we have a lore segment covering the Hystari, the wizards sent to Middle-earth to fight against Sauron. And finally, we end with an extended Entmoot where we will very slowly answer all of your questions, because there were a lot of questions this time around. So, sit back, relax, grab yourself a cup of tea, grab out your paints, and enjoy. Month in Middle Earth. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, another month in Middle Earth. Month it's, in Middle Earth. It's been approximately one month, I think. Give so, or take. <laughs> give or take. So we're going to be talking uh, mostly about our experience at ARC 2016. And I think uh, we'll let the TO begin with a few thoughts on uh, how the tournament ran. So, Kylie, take it away. I feel it's really, really a bad idea to start with me because I can't remember the tournament at all. Thanks for your feedback, Kylie. Wonderful. Moving on to the winner. Dum, dum, no, 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 no. Bum, stop, 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 stop. Okay, no, not the winner. I, I've actually got a question for Kylie because this tournament was pretty much standard practice. Like, we've done this before. It's a six scenarios, all that sort of stuff. I but ran then, this tournament with my eyes closed. Yep. But while you had your eyes closed, there was this idea that I actually thought was really good. You gave us some eyes closed bingo cards, and I want you to talk about that a little bit because I think that bears... Oh, yeah, the bingo cards. That were fun. Oh, yes. Talk about it. Come on. All right. So... One of the th- problems I always have when I run a tournament is how do you break up the scores? Because one of the biggest bane of a tier is having everyone on the same score and then having to figure out how to break tie breaks. So what I usually like to do is come up with some weird or quirky way of breaking up the scores. And this year I decided, you know what would be fun? Is if I gave everyone a random sheet in the in the style of a bingo card. And they got all like these little objectives on it. And then they have to like cross them off in like rows, columns and diagonals. And then you get points for each one that you fill out, and you get extra points for completing a row. So, yeah. So, what were some of the things that uh, you had on these bingo points? What What were some of the objectives that the players had to achieve? I can't remember all of them. I kind of wish I had brought the sheet now, but... Wait, hang on. You guys were playing with this freaking missions than yeah. I did. Why? We're, we're having fun watching you try and think, so... There was one where, yeah, here, your leader had to get killed. I remember that. There was yep. one we had to get a certain amount of victory points for the tournament. There Aggressive. Was one we had to get a hero to the highest point on the battlefield. King of the Hill. 
There was one we had to get stuff in the corner of the table. Power ritual. Might just there be called ritual. There was one where you had to kill enemy leaders. Head taker. Assassinate. There was one where you had to not take wounds on your heroes. Bodyguard. Invinci- Untouchable. That's the one. No, wasn't that the one where you had to take no wounds on your leader for the entire game? Yeah. It's another it was one? Like, yeah, there was another one called like Survivor or something like that. There was a few. There was a few that were similar. But I didn't have Survivor. I had Untouchable. So. There was one we had to kill 15 heroes over the tournament. I remember that one. I didn't I have Touchable. Where okay, I so that was Headtaker. So, okay. so now that I'm actually thinking about it, I do remember a lot of these. David seems to remember all of the names I remember perfectly. the ones that I had because I was watching them. So Champion of Champions, Denethor had to get 25 kills. He got three of them, two against my... No, he got four of them, two against myself, two against the opponent. Something like that. Yeah, but they're all in my game. Where your <laughs> your dinner thought was amazing. Yeah, I had a similar one as well. Where I was like, nah, not getting that. But you, yeah, I think it was a really good idea because it gave us some separate ideas, and it meant like when the game was, we had was sure of a result. Like one of the games, uh, I was playing, and we sort of knew it was going to be a draw. So it became how many of the missions can we get as well as getting the draw, and that that actually like made a difference in the end. Just getting a couple extra ones. Had to do some silly things like call a heroic shoot and get it successfully. Uh, applied i had to to find the top piece of the terrain so i end up having a uh, nazag at one point silly running up some terrain taking some shots calling some heroic actions just to try and build up my points um, and i thought it was a really good idea or something it was different and that's what i thought was needed at a tournament because we've been playing the same six scenarios for so long that any difference is good like like give me a different font and i'll get excited but a bingo card really exciting yeah, i'm glad you liked it oh yeah just the flavor it added to a game like Last game, I got slaughtered. I had a deadlocked shield wall that was coming apart at the seams, but I managed to slip a few guys through into a shield bearer. Not shield bearer. Those banner bearers that hang around the king's champion. A herald. 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 Killed him. Flat dead. That that was this thing on my bingo card. Flash kill an enemy hero. So kill even herald though... Flash. I think I did that and I forgot to tick it off. Ah. Oh, no. But yeah, the idea is if they're at full stats at the start of the phase and you kill them, which I did, that was worth a point. So even though everything was coming apart at the seams, I'm like, yes, mission accomplished. Play the music. Uh, well, thanks, Matt, for playing that music. That was really good. So yes, solid, solid job on the bingo cards. That was good fun. I think they need a bit of tweaking, though, because some of them people found extremely difficult yeah. and some found completed in one Yeah, power single. ritual was hard to do. Yeah, I wanted them to all be on the same difficulty curve, but evidently, when you sort of beta test something in a tournament, you you don't get good results. Mine was an hilarious card, because I had it so that it was set up, so I had like three that were essentially impossible for my army, like I had the Tainted as my leader, and one was get 25 kills with a Tainted, and I only ever got them against my own guys, by accident, but the way it set up was I had one impossible one, and another one, and another one, all set up so I couldn't possibly get a row or a column. They're all set up exactly right, so I could not possibly get that at all. So I was getting like these random scattered ones around that, and it was a bit tough. Yeah, one piece of criticism that I would have is that I kind of wish I'd known what some of them were ahead of time. A good example is the one where you needed kills with your leader, because I would have changed my leader. I would have made my leader a different uh, hero. I had uh, Saruman, and I didn't really feel like I could get enough kills with him. So just having the list, maybe, not necessarily knowing exactly what ones you were going to have, but just knowing what possibilities might come up adds to to the intrigue i guess the mystery of the unknown ah never mind no it was an extra challenge and i think it will take some tweaks it was the first time it was run but i thought it was really fun Mm -hmm. so that was your month in middle earth kylie was it sort of i've also been um painting up a new army for clash of the titans coming up we'll talk about it what's your army my hood camels lots of camels lots of lots of camels ring race on camels 
Ringwraith on Camels, which I've converted. And which Ringwraith is it? I haven't actually nailed down a list because I played one practice game with them so far. And this is, so when I had my first practice game, I was like, all right, blowpipes are awesome. Camels are going to be all right. And the half shells are going to be pretty cool. So everything I thought the Mahood would be ended up being completely wrong. So blowpipes are pretty average, actually. They're, they're, worse, to that. they're worse than Rose's blowpipes, even though they can move and shoot. So I know. I've, I've had some pretty nice shooting with Woe's blowpipes. That's what I mean. They're what worse doing. They're, they're worse than Woe's blowpipes. Anyway, so I didn't find the blowpipes that great, even though I sunk like 25 points into them. No, more than that, like 40 points into them. They're almost what you use if you've got nothing else to do. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but... I did find half trolls were exactly how I expected them to be. Just tanky sh- things in the front. and Amazing. Like, can't, yeah. Th- They're good. But if you come up against anything with Terra, they do nothing. Yeah, they stand back and you, you shoot blowpipes yeah, until yeah. they charge them. But um, camels were 5,000 million times better than I thought they were. I and told you that. They've got the strength for hit when the, they charge. The impaler is yes. stupid. The, the impaler just straight up is stupid. I've impaled Treebeard to death. Just run them with the Great Beast of Gorgoroth, maybe Murmak, and you're laughing. So, one thing I really like is in, um, historically, camels are really good against um, horses, because horses don't like the smell of camels and tend to run away from camels. And Treebeard. Most people don't like the smell of camels, though. Anyway, camels are really good against enemy cavalry, because they run in, hit the rider and the horse, so you got a good chance of either killing the horse, 50% chance of killing the horse, and then you got a, like a 1 in 3 killing the rider. And that's your heavy armored variety because it's strength for hit. Yeah, so no, it's it, they're good stuff, and the, the the balance is getting the right number of them because it's hard to balance how many you need because you don't want them being wasted, but you don't want them all to die off too quickly either. And you want your heroes on camels because heroes on camels, fantastic. Here's one thing I found though: the tribe master on camel. Don't like. I would much prefer another three regular dudes on camel than a tribe master on camel. The king is fantastic. I'm a fan of tribe master. I like him on foot. The Tribe Master on foot is like a good little extra guy to lead a warband. He's got a three plus blow pipe, which is handy, like to get a little snipe off or something. But you'd but prefer the extra strength four hits from the extra camels. Yeah, I know Minister's captains on horse with lance are amazing, but I don't know for some reason Mahood Tribe Masters on horse with lance are just terrible. I have the opposite experience. Like the Mahood ones, the extra attack you get on them, and the fact that you can take a few of them. I only take one king because I don't. Like, from a story point of view, I don't like the idea of having multiple kings. But So I take the tribe masters, and they do all the work. Like they get in there, and then you sometimes you end up spending their will to charge the terrifying things, because that's that's a hard thing to do. And then you just go in, and they, they do a lot. And can you still use the might on the impaler, or is that not anymore? I don't think you can anymore. Okay, so that's, that's a bit of a difference, because that was one of my go-tos, is to might up impaler and do some wounds early on. Yeah, the thing I kept finding was I kept losing combats with the tribe master, because, like, things, even though I can strike up, I, I'd run out of might so quickly. Because, like, you tend to burn through my a lot faster now in these games. Uh, I'd run into something, and then they just get beaten back yeah. and die. Like, But that comes down to dice as much as the unit as well. Cause true. Even Smile loses combats occasionally. I found that the fight, the jump from fight four to fight five is a big one. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Are you taking the Moomax? No. Ah. Uh, first I mistake. Can't wait to do a Mahood Moomax. I think that'll look fantastic. No, no, I'm actually trying to win cut, so I'm not taking a... Um, Second mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced you can't win a tournament with a Moomak. David? I think I did it once. I can't actually remember. No, you got second. Yeah, I, that's right. I got second with a Moomak. Still an achievement. The problem is you lose some scenarios really hard, and, but you win others really easily. Yeah, yeah no, I want something that true. can actually contest all six scenarios. 
Yeah, so the Nuller Army. Okay. Anyway, that was my, that's been my month. Okay, my month. Um, last month, I said I was going to try and convert up some Citadel Guard with Trunjans to go stomping around Minas Tirith in their big law enforcement boots and, you know, bash enemies on the head. And I did it. You I converted it? them up. Why did you do it? I got myself some Numenorians, chopped their heads off, put some Gondorian heads on them, filed down the sword into a baton. Forwards on the foe. Yeah, I, I thought these were really good. They look the classic chop off a Numenorian head and put a Gondor head, which is one of my favorite conversions. Although I wasn't that impressed with your batons, I think you no, need they, to... they were a bit of a rush. They were filed down the sword. I'm gonna sort of bulk out the handle to give it the trunjan spike on the side, but as I said, just remind me flat tonight. Ran I think I've got some Thunderbolt Mountain weapons that would actually look really fantastic on those. So okay. if, if you remind me before we finish up, I'll I'll get you those. Okay, so I got them. I did a similar conversion for a Knight of the White Tower. I got Aragorn the King with two-handed sword because he was the only model I had with giant two-handed sword. Chopped his head out. That was a pain. Put a Gondorian head on him. Nile the White Tower. Looked very nice, I thought. Oh, it looked amazing. That was so good. I forgot that there was actually a model for it. It looked like the model to me. As soon as you put that down, I'm like, yeah, that's the Knight of the White Tower. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the best conversions I saw at the tournament, I think. So, yeah. I actually had trouble explaining that it was a conversion to some people. I'm like, these are my conversions. They're like, where? I'm like, mission accomplished. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so, um, can, I, can I just interject yes. here? I'm just going to say this right now. I have done the very same conversion with the... Aragorn with it. Yeah, with big sword of... Yeah, into a Knight of the White Tower. And none of you decided at the time when I did the conversion to make it any mind, but suddenly when David does it... There's only one explanation. It was so good we simply didn't notice. Yeah, we didn't notice. And David's had a lot more yellow on it. True, my dude. It, I was aiming for gold, but I ended up with yellow. But it I looked good, so... In fairness, <laughs> like, I don't think I played against yours. I played against David, and it just killed everything. So I, I really did notice it. It was chopping everything up. Oh, yeah. Um, quick tournament recount. From the perspective of the Nile White Tower. First game was across the board. I was against Shuan. Reconnoiter is the word you're looking Reconnoiter, for. Reconnoiter, or Reconnoiter, across the board. Anyway, there was this mortar Yurikai captain got in his way. He went in with a two-handed sword, inflicted one wound. It failed its fate. He chalked up his first kill. Went into some troops, then ran off before he could cross the board, which was a right pain. Second game, comes up against Jeremy Entwistle and his Rohan infantry. I send in one of my Siddhul guard. He stuns Grimbold. He whistles. He goes, I've caught myself a civic offender. He's disturbing the peace. What should we do to him? Now the White Tower wanders over and goes, let me handle this. Two-handed sword slays Grimbold. Somebody goes and stuns Eomer. I think it was the knight, of the, the knight version, so the tough guy. Ah, uh, nice. We're like, we've caught another one, sire. Jogs over with his two-handed sword. Smites Eomer. Somebody stuns Erkenbrand. It's like, sir, another one. Jogs over, smites Erkenbrand. So, mission accomplished. Next game comes up against Matt. Emir. Huge matchup. Yes. Emir <laughs> comes riding in. He meets the Nile White Tower face to face, beard to beard. He gets stunned, but he dies before the stun can take effect because I have a great big sword. <laughs> <laughs> Next game, come up against Jeremy. The Tainted. It's this wander on all over the place. So, the Tainted takes shelter in a building. Next to the Knight of the White Tower. Yes. One of, one of my patrollers is like, Sir, we think there's a ring wraith in this building. We should, what should we do? Send, send a warband around the back to watch the doors. We'll flush him out. They go in. They stun him. Denethor goes in. Denethor gets trapped by a banner bearer, a spectre, and the tainted on horse. Denethor's in trouble. One of my patrollers goes, I care not for this terror. Goes in to break off the combat. Dies from the tainted's toxic miasma. Oh no, Denethor's in trouble. The banner bearer that's trapping him dies from the toxic miasma. My still got a spectre. 
The spectre dies from the toxic miasma. My spectre. So transfixed Denethor is standing there looking at this tainted. Everything else is dead and goes, you know what? I don't feel like losing combat. He was transfixed, but he was smiling at the same time. Yeah. As the tainted (laughs) killed all his friends. Every single one that was in the building with his bloody sixes. Only sixes I've ever rolled in my life. Kill all my friends. So yeah, Denethor pushes him back and goes, you know what? Night of the White Tower's coming. Night of the White Tower goes in with a great big choppy sword. Smites the tainted. They break out of the building and charge the objective. He smites on his way, Fimble and Yazneg, with his great big two-handed sword. And both of them are like, on a roll-off, I think, as well. Like, yes. He won the combat on the roll-off and just come in and just said, no problems. He's only got one might, but because he's fight five, that's pretty much a free strike every turn from Gondor's point of view. So, free strike every turn. I'm taking it. Oh. <laughs> so, game five, there's a war moon mark of Harad. Come stomping across the board. I did happen to walk past this uh, game when this particular moment happened. Yep. Um, it stomped all over Madril, who was trying to call heroic moves, but to do that, burnt out its might. So, my patrollers close in. Kirin closes in with his... He finally got to use his plus two courage special rule. Like, he failed by two, but he had the special rule. Yes. So, he chips one wound off it. Like, okay, that's good. Neither White Tower arrives. He chops four wounds off it. Next, why not? Yep, next turn they all go in. Now the White Tower takes another two off, so he's done six wounds. Baragon chips off one more. Like, hang on, it's only got two wounds left. I have one point of might. Burn the might. Eight wounds on the Moomark. Moomark goes down. Night of the White Tower. Um, last game, turn one, he went straight into that Defense 9 Dwarf Hero and died. But he gave it a jolly good shot. <laughs> <laughs> and so ended the lay of the Night of Gondor. Night the of the White, White Tower. Tower. But yeah, so he had a right ball. Um, <laughs> Can you rename him to Turin? No, one thing, I've been trying to come up with a name for his sword. Like, um, because it's this great big two-handed sword that smites people. What was the two-handed sword from, from the uh, uh, Children the, of Turin? The black sword. Black sword. Glau? Glau? Uh, I think so, yeah. My the, current... the one that like killed all his mates, yes. but also killed like everything. My current best idea was die unsung. Sort of, no one shall mourn your passing. There it is. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, the Civic Patrollers, apart from stunning heroes, they were brilliant because they've got Bodyguard and in Domination. I when... just thought of an idea, yes. sort. Why don't you call it Underworld 2.0? It's not really Middle-earthy enough for David. I, no. I... I could call it Narsil Reborn or something like that, but yeah. Wait, no, what's no. Underworld backwards? <laughs> so it's now a vampire sword of doom. Got it. <laughs> but no, the Civic Patrollers stun weapons, like... There was one of the games, I needed another turn to get the objective off the guy. We're going non-lethal, lads. Arrest! Black. So Citadel Guard with stun is a serious thing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's the new it's it's the new thing. It's what you need in your army. So, so next like, tournament, spread the word. Yes. Okay, wow. Like, file down your swords, beat them into plowshares, do whatever you want. Get yourself some truncheons. They're the new super weapon. Wow, I did not expect that. They're the one that's a four plus, and then you lower their fight down to one, don't you? Yes. And shoot six. And attack oh. one for the next turn. Oh, attack one's good. Yes. So you set yourself up for next turn to just go nuts at them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you've got so many of them that you're going to fluke a lost combat at some point. And when you do, it's super lethal because you get stunned. The best best use I have for them is you put them into a captain. Because it, captains botch combats every now and then. But they don't care because normal troops generally can't breach their defense seven or whatever. But when they're looking at that four plus stun, they go, no, I'm going to drop might into this. So... 
captains are suddenly burning might to, you know, recover botches against lone warriors. I have a question for you. Yes. How many Citadel Garbit truncheons did you have? I had six at the time. They worked so well, I'm currently converting up some mounted ones. <laughs> mounted police. I like this. Yes. Get the mounties going. That's the idea. I've done a quick bit of research, and the uh, evil blade that was owned by Beleg, and which slipped in his hand, cut Turin, and uh, subsequently Turin then killed Beleg, was called Gurthang. Gurthang, that's the one. Gurthang. Hmm. So Tempting. there you go, an interesting blade name. It also chased uh, Sayros off a cliff while he was naked and he fell into a cliff. Yeah, that's the one. That's yep. the best, be- best death in Middle-earth ever. And it smited a great big dragon. Killed, <laughs> did a few other things, yeah. Mm. And a character called Hunther, I think. No, he got squashed by the dragon. There are quite a yeah. few good deaths in Middle-earth. Yeah. No. yeah. Hunthor got hit by the great big rock unleashed by the dragon who was climbing over the cliff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, that was the month. Um, pick- How'd you go to the tournament? Uh, picked up a major loss, four major wins, crushing loss because my Night of the White Tower just couldn't pull another one. But first place. Yeah, all well it done. took was four. Night of the White Tower, man of the match, man of the tournament, Out man of, of the nowhere. year. <laughs> David just absolutely nailed it at this yeah. tournament. Yeah, oh, yes. Really well. Like Time Magazine. It'll have the Night of the White Tower on the front of it. Well, whatever Middle Earth has. Sundial Magazine. Have <laughs> the Night of the White Tower on the front of it. Well done. Well done, David. So, so, Jeremy, how was your month? My month. So, I did a little bit of painting. Spectres and some barrel whites. I was really happy with these ones because I've gone, instead of doing the normal just paint ghosts as like one color, like a blue with white tinges or a gray of white tinges, I decided to go the full zombie look. So, I painted them in the colors they are but have all their stuff going up to like a, an off-white, like a pearly white that gives them this ghostly feeling and really zombified look, lots of holes in that, and I was really proud of those. And I have just finished The Great Beast of Gorgoroth. The Great Beast of Gorgoroth. The Great Beast, you say? I'm so happy with this one. It's basically Middle-Earth's Rhino. It was like, took me so long to assemble a thing. I've actually got a few more of them, but... I'm going to convert those. They're a bit of a pain to put together. So much Swiss cheese holes in them. So I had to do green stuff all over the place. Finally got the thing together. Sat there looking at it for so long because it's an imposing model. It's It's got the rhino thing with the howdah and then it's got 10 orcs as well. But I decided to finally bite the bullet. Spent a week on it. Painting a little bit each night. Thought, I've got I've got nothing coming up. I'm not planning to go to any tournaments. Um, I don't have any scenarios I particularly need to play straight away. I'm going to paint a Gorgoth piece. So I painted it and got it all done. And then hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get scenarios for it at some point in the future. Fingers crossed. Um, but I was really proud of that. So my painting went really well. And I also played in uh, the Arcanicon tournament as well. Had the best day one, winning all my games. Had the worst day two, uh, losing two games and drawing a game. So I, I had really smooth luck there. But my highlights were playing Smaug for the first time. So I took a I took an Angmar army with some um, Hunter Orc heroes as well and some Hunter Orcs. Because I, I wanted to showcase my shade. Like, I really wanted to use the shade. I wanted to try out some things. And it had to paint it as a leader. And it was good sometimes. It was bad sometimes. But I played a Reconnoiteur against Smaug, which is not the best scenario for Smaug. But Smaug looks amazing. And if Smaug ran off, I was in trouble. But Smaug got distracted by Hunter Orc running around him. But every, during the game, every time Tim would take Smaug off the base, I had to stop him. Stop there, Tim. Take the terrain away. Move the terrain. Smaug stays on his base. Number one rule of Smaug, Smaug does not leave his base. I'm not playing Smaug and having an empty base on the table. That is rubbish. So I followed Tim around the entire tournament, and every time I saw Smaug off his base, I like would interrupt his game, no matter what they were talking about. Stop there, Tim. Put Smaug back on his base right now. And he, he loved me for it. He, I couldn't think of anything wrong with this at all. So basically just hunting him around the whole tournament, 
because Smaug deserves his base. He deserves to stay on his base. I don't mind if he's carrying off the base. I don't mind if he takes off the measure. Leave Smaug on your base. Everyone else moves around Smaug. Smaug is imposing. So that was really good to play Smaug. That was one of my highlights. And my other highlight was David already mentioned one of them, so I'm not going to mention that one again. The Tainted totally screwing up, killing all his mates when he's about to assassinate Denethor, David's leader. But I really enjoyed a game against Sunau. And in this one, this was the one where you get kill points. And I don't like kill points. I'm not a fan of kill points. Kill point missions, I think it's the most lazy writing ever. Game designers, if you're listening to me, you heard me. The laziest writing ever. It's just, if we can't think of anything, we're just going to make kill points, get kill points for everything. So I was doing kill points, and it was evil versus evil, and we started a massive scrum in the middle. So I thought, once again, this is, David loves playing like this. This is the most boring way to play. You line up, you've got your two forces there, you start in combat, you don't move. But I moved. We had a wall in the way. So now set up behind the wall in a good defensive position. I totally collapsed my flank on one side and ran around the other side, made it so little my heroes and wargs could only charge through certain points, wiped out one flank, and then slowly munched around the whole objective and just ate his army. I got 69 victory points in an 800-point game. 69 victory points. There was one model left to tell the story. And that model was a horn blower, a Numenorean horn blower, running to the corner, being chased down by wild riders. He's going to get back to his friends. He's going to tell them, do not mess with Angmar, ever. How many men does it take to deliver a message? One. That horn blower. Although he's a man, like Numenoreans. Black, Black Numenoreans are like supermen. Suddenly they cause terror. Suddenly they, they're just like, they're so much better than Numenoreans. They've been infused with some kind of evil. I don't know. Yeah. Higher defense somehow? It's like the uglier the model, the, the better the rules. I'm not sure. It's because they live in the middle of a desert. They've packed on the heavy plate mail and they've packed on the heavy black robes. And yeah. <laughs> Makes total sense. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So that, that was my highlight. And I did like the bingo card. And um, yeah, that, w- that was a bit of fun. But overall, the tournament was pretty standard game. It was good fun. It was good to play in House of War. Um, it's good to get the, the Lord of the Rings out again. Cool. So I'll move on to uh, my month and just go over it pretty quick. It was pretty simple. It was a pretty simple month. I uh, have finally finished assembling all my Haradrim. They're ready to be spray painted. I am not 100% certain I'll be able to get it done, but I'm really hoping that I can get a new 800-point army done for Cot. You Matt, heard it here I've got first, a challenge everybody. for you. Yes, go ahead. Get a new 800-point army done for Cot. Love it. Okay. okay. I had never thought of doing that, but I will definitely do that now. But not Harrod. Not Harrod. I haven't got Harrod, though. Like one. Oh, man. No, you can do Harrod. The Dark Denizens. Good, I'll do Harrod. The Dark Denizens. I have exactly three Lake Town models, so I only have to buy another, I don't know, 80? You don't have to go up to the full 800 points. You can be a couple points down. That's true. That like, and, uh, like 600 points down. a couple down. hundred points down. Yeah, a I few, do. A few hundred, like half the points should be okay. After yeah. you dominating me in the, the game domination, <laughs> I think I'll be happy if you I take a few hundred points down. I don't many points. Yeah. <laughs> you really didn't. So, yeah, so that'll be ready to go. Hopefully get that done for Cot, which we will get into later. But talking about ARC 2016 and my results there, and I was lucky enough to draw the Gumby round one and then unlucky enough to realize that that was, in fact, Kylie and that <laughs> I was going to start off with a very difficult game. Gotcha. <laughs> but it was Reconnoiter. And if anyone doesn't know, my rolling to bring reserves on for Reconnoiter is, is always bad. So... First turn, the king comes on, I'm like, right, good start. Ringwraith rolls a one. Warpraith rolls a one. Chieftain rolls a one. I'm like, all right, it's okay. I've got one more turn. I'll get him on next turn. It'll be fine. Chieftain rolls a one. <laughs> Warpraith rolls a two. Ringwraith rolls a one. I'm like, great, all right, because um, Matt's caught a march and he's all mounted Rohan. He's now two turns away from the board edge. I'm like, all right, let's get some guys on now. 
Let's get some guys on. So sneaking those loaded dice in your bag was clearly a good idea. Yeah. So, so the so the war priest. Yeah, he doesn't come back on. Uh, the chieftain does come on though, so that was helpful. And the ringwraith came on finally. So on turn three, when Matt is fifteen inches from my board edge, I'm like, great, great. At least you know where he is. Yeah. So fifteen inches from your board. When edge. you're playing an all Rohan army and death, the first round of combat is fought six inches from your table edge because your army had just arrived onto the table, generally means disaster. And it also doesn't help when you're playing, sorry, playing the Gumby and trying to run around every other table at the tournament answering rules questions because people don't know the rules. Is and this... when there's an amazing general facing you on the other side of the board yeah, as well. That, well played, that, is this that when that you just sense. let the enemy move over a quarter of their army off? Because they're all mounted Rohan, there's not many of them. Then you just march your army across the board when it finally arrives. Normally that would be the case, but unfortunately for me as well, my rolling was atrocious. So when Aimer and his royal guard decided to run into combat... Oh, um, they wrecked house. <laughs> it was great fun. They pretty much killed every single model in the combat, except for the banner and the war priest, which decided to tank them for four or five turns. Not that I actually helped me win the game. Got it. So I just had this picture in my mind of the all-mounted Rohan marching across the board against no opposition. All this evil army then moving on to the board once the Rohan had left and crossing the board again to no opposition. Uh, sadly, no. Oh, well. Now, I don't normally like to highlight negatives. Okay, that's not true. I love highlighting negatives. And there was one big negative in this game, and that was the fact that possibly the first time ever, I saw Kylie make an error. A what genuine error? 100% error. Oh, wow. What is it? She forgot the range of Saruman's Transfix. What is the range of Saruman's Transfix? 18, 12? 18 Six? inches. 18 inches. 18 plus horse movement as well. So that's You know oh. what? That's a fair point. I did forget that Saruman the White had... Um, an 18-inch move, but Matt also forgot that when you move onto the table, you place a model in base contact with the table edge, and then you move them on. So Matt decided, I'm going to place my Rohan 15 inches from the table edge. 17. So that the, 17. Yeah. yeah. 17 inches from the table edge so that the big scary Felbeast can't charge. Then the big scary Felbeast moves on, compels the model, and charges. Because, because you, that base is what, three inches? Charge yeah, on the first inches. turn you entered. Because you can't Compel- charge them. Oh, uh, move forward, and then they charged you. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I thought, I thought, I thought I had you. Damn it. So genuine errors from both sides in this game, and uh, luckily enough, the Rohan charge. Da- David's normal tactic straight down the yes. middle. I said, "There's what? a ring wraith to my left. There's a Kandish king to my right. Screw this!" Straight down the middle, straight at that war priest, and despite the five plus saves, they just didn't come off. So all of them died. Mm-hmm. All of them into the center died. And just enough Rohan got off uh, before the game ended. So. Nice. Half a league, half a league, half a league on. Into the Valley of Death <laughs> rode the Rohan. The final charge. No, not the final charge. There's more charges. More charges later in the tournament. So I, I, I can't recall all my games, to be honest. But uh, one of the best ones was against Smaug. I finally got to play Smaug, just as Jeremy said. The first time I've played him uh, against him. And that was probably the game which I felt, uh, despite having in some respects, the least control over it. Smaug's always going to do something to your heroes. He's always going to drop some fire down. He's always going to cast some spells. There's not a lot that you can do about that, necessarily. Stop, drop, and roll. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, on the very first... Uh, I'll just set up I'll set up the scene. So it was the one where you come on, onto the board from all directions. Hold ground. Hold ground. It was hold ground. Forgot the name briefly. Hold the high ground, I think it's called. That One of those ones. And unfortunately, I won priority. So Smaug was always going to fa- fireball something on the first turn. There was oh, absolutely the, nothing I can that's do. That's the auto lose if you, you yeah, priority. Yeah, that's yep, the one. Gotcha. That yeah. was your first mistake. 
So yeah, silly mistake. I did that as well. So Dumb. highly intelligently, Tim decided to throw a fireball directly at the big jerk, Jerk and Bram, and uh, he lost his horse. But I feel Jerk and Bram deserves that. Yeah, no, fair enough. You know, uh, his horse is also a jerk. Not many people know that, but that's he. He only rides jerks in the combat. Unfortunately it's like a for Courage Tim, Five Horses, isn't it, or something? Oh, uh, Courage Seven. I'm pretty sure the horse. Courage Five yeah. Horse. Yeah, total jerk. No, it's just a normal horse. What are you guys talking about? No, it gets plus courage to the horse. Oh, plus, plus courage horse. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't mean much when it just is automatically immolated. But it's a jerk of a horse. Despite that, uh, Erkenbrand didn't actually uh, cop a wound. I think Tim rolled a lot of twos with his fireballs. Uh, not not to hit, that he rolled plenty to hit. But on the actual wounds from the fireballs, that would be an auto kill on my heroes. Lots of twos, lots of one-yum twos. I feel that's um, one of Tim's tactics he really needs to work on because he plays smug pretty well. But he tends to roll a lot of twos for the yeah, attacks. And yeah. I think when you when you you wound everything on a three plus in like the whole game, it's probably a good idea to roll a three plus. It's definitely handy, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. rolling ones and twos, not so good. He doesn't really roll the ones that much. He he likes the twos, but I think if he just like upped his game by maybe one pip, like to a three, he could do some serious damage with and, and save those might points as well for perhaps later in the game. So Yeah, don't use might points. There's, there's a big moment where that what we mean by that is there was a moment where if Tim had decided to not spend a might point at a very stupid moment in the game, instead of holding on to that might point, even just for a couple of seconds later, he would have won a game. This was one of those games where Kylie came over in her role as TO and decided to hover over us and, and tell us what we were doing wrong at all times during the game. <laughs> that was really enjoyable. I That was probably one of the best parts of that game. Hey, I, wait, I waited until after criticism. the game to tell you what you did wrong. You Thank did, you but much. you did not wait uh, to tell us that we were doing something wrong. You just wouldn't tell us exactly what it was. Because <laughs> that doesn't influence games at all, Dave Kylie. Like, looking over your shoulder, going, you just done it yeah, wrong. No, she just sort of. Uh, little you realize you just lost just the game. Sort of, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you what it was later. Hands thrown up in the air, head flailing <laughs> back. Just like, oh my goodness, you are the worst player in the world. You never want me as your TO because I will mess with your head the entire <laughs> yeah. tournament. So, uh, just probably one key moment in the game when Saruman failed all three fate rolls. Uh, on ones too, to by use, the way. And had to use all of his might. Three ones in a row. Had that to reminds use all me of another game, actually. Survive. And from then on, uh, lay down in a ruin. Stood up every turn, cast a spell, lay down again. Later on, uh, the Witch King, which was actually being run with Smaug, came around to try and get him. Saruman ran out of the ruin, charged him, and popped him with one wheel because he only had one wheel left. So, uh, <laughs> so Saruman did the work in that game, and luckily I just had the models. I, I got the win in that one. Uh, I had a couple of other games, but the one really of note was against Jeremy, which I don't think you talked about. No, I didn't talk about. No. It. I thought you wanted to talk. Probably about purposefully, it. yeah. Yeah, I no, it wasn't a highlight for me. No, I can understand that. So. Uh, this was Low another light. genuine error, and I don't see it from these two that often, or David for that matter. I don't see many genuine errors, but this was a genuine error. This was Jeremy throwing all his heroes into a couple of combats in the first turn, and Saruman just saying, we don't want to be having any of that. Sorceress Blast, all of them lose yeah. their wags, and from there it was an uphill battle. Oh, it's just that I don't play against Sorceress Blast often, because I normally play themed lists and things like that, and just oh, not no, pure yeah, cheese. I can understand that. Yeah, you know. I, I just, just didn't Wizards come up against are pretty it. rare, pretty awesome. They are. They don't turn up with every army in every single game. No, just the good ones. Yeah, yeah. No, so I lost that. But as, as sour as you are, Jeremy, just remember that you actually placed third and actually got a pair yeah, in no, position. Yeah, no, no, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no Maddot played me in that part. I didn't know about that. And But honestly, in that scenario, I didn't really have a chance anyway. So Because the, the way the scenario is, unfortunately... But what we're finding is a lot of these six scenarios is they're, they're actually, you can almost look at the matchup and find out what's going to happen. And so because because Matt's a very good player, and I'm I'm a pretty good player, we're, we're about the same level. Like, let's let's face it, we're about the same level. We know the tricks. Matt had a shooting, moving army and domination. 
I had a slow moving forearm. Like in core, yeah. 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 So so all I, I had to chase him and chasing Rohan with a slow moving army mm-hmm. doesn't work. So I had to change my tactics. And after I tried something with my heroes and that totally failed. I totally stuffed that up. So my next tactic went, right, I need to play as stupidly as I possibly can. Because playing smart means Matt will lose. So I've just got to do the dumbest things in the world. So I just threw my orcs everywhere. Like, literally threw them. Like, I didn't even move them. Like, I knew six inches. I picked them up and threw them six inches. You actually did fly across the table. Oh, no, I was... It was amazing. It was reckless. Like, I just went totally, totally Malifaux Gremlin tactics. Just went insane. And this put Matt under so much pressure. Because he's like, what the hell is Jeremy doing? He's gone insane. And I had. But I moved... This is madness. Um, What I did was I basically put some models attempting to get at every objective. Just to either contest it, basically. I put all my, my hitters towards Matt's objective. So I just set them all straight for that to try and just barge through as much of his army as possible. And then my aim was just to die as quickly as possible because if Rohan had a lot of time, they would have got me because they could have maneuvered. So my only real chance was to just put massive amounts of time pressure on and hope. And it almost came off. Yeah, it was close. probably one less turn you would have had it, I think. Well, actually, we worked out on the last turn that, yeah. that one roll, if, if one of my heroes did one more wound on a 5+, plus, mm. it would have been a swing. Yeah. Like it, had, it was yep. situational. It had to be in one specific spot. But to have me in a scenario that was totally against me doing that, I thought yeah. actually was a pretty good, especially considering I stuffed up my main attack with the source of buff. But I got revenge on Saruman. Like, I got angry at him. <laughs> yes. I'm like, he stuffed me up. I am so <laughs> going to kill him. First of all, I um, what did I do? I went went silly with the, the you, tainted. You did another uh, charge all into combat. So you yep. baited me over to the right. I, I was like, I, I don't want you to get that combat off because I don't want you to uh, be able to heroic combat all the way back around. So I went in, I did the exact same thing as the first turn, but Jeremy didn't have quite as much in these combats this time. So uh, he had enough to pull Saruman over and just throw a few things into him, and he didn't survive I compelled it. him forward with Tainted. Yeah, I compelled mm. him forward and just, like, heroic combat into him. Everyone jumped into him, and yep. I managed to get that off, and, and I got revenge. And that was that was the first objective, because after Saruman made a fool of me, because I didn't know the damn, the, the, the sorcerer's blast. Because <laughs> I, I thought it was, like, everyone in a row, so if you knock it back, you get there. But apparently, it, like, it blasts to the side, and, like, everyone in the combat, even if they're, like, a good six paces away gets hit. That's right, but then yeah. the combat next to there that's intervening doesn't actually get hit. It's I just... think I used that against David as well yes. at one point, and I also used it against Josh. I think a lot of people. It's a bit counterintuitive. I think so. Yeah. I think we just don't play it a lot. Like yeah. let, let's face it. So you, you got us on that. But um, no, I got revenge on Saruman and put you under pressure. Then and it just went totally reckless. <laughs> For those of you that are wondering what the rule is, if you sorceress or blast a model in combat, all models in the combat are not. And if, like, if you've got foot troops, who cares? But if you've got a bunch of cavalry heroes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's frustrating. Like that stuff is frustrating when you've got no resistance at all. It's just like lose all yeah. your, your heroes, and that's. It's funny how those powers affect your heroes, but you can't resist them. There's some powers where you can, like the nature's wrath. At least you've got a chance. You can say, "I've got a hero. I'm going to take a resist." That one's hard because if they target a warrior and it bounces into your combat, you can't resist it at all. It's the reason why Rohan with Saruman is so freaking popular, not just in Melbourne or in Sydney. It's just Everywhere across yeah. the road, yeah, across the world, Sar- the road. Saruman has <laughs> across, the road. <laughs> across the world, <laughs> simply for the fact that you need to put your heroes at the front so that the only one Saruman can target is the hero. Yeah. But by it's doing so, you're playing against all mounted Rohan who are just going to shoot your yeah. horse out from under you. Yeah. So it's like a catch 22. I got lucky because my only mounted hero was Baragond and he didn't really care, but still. It's, it's there are ways to play against There them, are, but, but it, is, they're very... it is a strong tactic. Yeah. So I, I've, I have actually remembered all my other games. Of course, David uh, spoke about the one where AMA went in and just got chopped down. From my perspective, 
all of Rohan was just chilling around Amon Hen, just having a good time. And suddenly this tsunami of Gondorians <laughs> just decided to re-annex Rohan and just yes. wipe everyone out. It was an absolute genocide. It was crazy. Yeah, it so, was a... Su- oh, yeah. David took Where- like 20% more models than anyone else in the whole tournament. Where was Gondor, Gondor when the West Fold fell? Exactly. Where was Gondor when our enemies closed Apparently in around everywhere. us? Killing all of How them. many models were in your army? Like 61? I had 60 of them. 60 yeah. model Gondor. So, you know, two to one band. against my army. Uh, it was yeah. brutal. Yeah. Uh, that was the one where Urkamrand deployed on top of Amon Hen. So yeah. I yeah. sent, I think it was Madril, deployed him up on top as well. They had a few guys each which just wiped each other out. So it was Madril and a dismounted Urkamrand just pushing backwards and forwards across the top. And under the new rules, if you're going to be pushed off an edge, you can't elect to be trapped. You yeah, are off the edge. You're right. This actually came up in the game. I, I was like, oh, I could probably just stay up there, right, and take double strikes. No, you just get knocked straight down. So oh, you also that... brought the Knight of the White Tower up in yes. the end as well. In the yeah. last turn, he because they were just seesawing backwards and forwards at the top. If someone won three combats in a row, the other guy would fall off the edge. But in the end, it just didn't happen. So I sent the Knight of the White Tower up. He got... ah. <laughs> uh, so then Erkenbrand shielded because, you know, he's Erkenbrand. Of course. Like, oh, what on. a jerk. Yeah, Shield, trying because... to stay alive at the end of the game? Yeah. No, what what just, is this? You denied a crush. So there's that. <laughs> I, I actually had already killed Denethor, so I, yeah. I had denied the crush earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. But I also got King of the Hill for my bingo card. So yes. that was oh, a positive. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well done. Even though I got absolutely hammered in that game. My other two game, one was against Ken, and that was one of the most... Uh, just frustrating. It was straight out frustrating for both of us because we both had very heavy shooting armies. He also had the Shadow Lord. So I just, I honestly looked across the board and I, I have no idea what to do here. I've worked out that that guy's actually better than the Tainted. Yeah. One, he doesn't kill your own blokes when you're about to do the one <laughs> kill in the whole tournament. Two, he stops blokes shooting at you. Yeah, yeah. The Tainted did kill, I think it was two Fountain Guard and one Citadel Guard. Yeah, I don't care about that. But he saved Denethor, so I'm, give, I'm giving him a medal. In, in Declaring hindsight, him, you know, Lord Shadow Lord, how good would he have been for your army? Uh, in hindsight, yes, yeah. he would have been the way to go. Yeah, because I would have, I would have actually been able to play tactically against you instead of instead just of saying charging everything. Yeah, because because the shooting was the main issue. Because you could have mm. just whittled me down where you wanted, when you wanted. But the Shadow Lord means it takes a lot of effort to whittle you down. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually managed to eke out a win against Ken with a lot of micromanagement and just making sure that. Uh, I actually called heroic accuracy at one point to knock out a couple of guys. Every single kill counted in this game. I was counting every single thing. It was Lords of Battle, so all the horses counted as well. He Which one's k- Lords of Battle? Is it the battle one? Kill points. Kill, kill points. Point. Yes. Kill points. So he had quite a bit of cover as well. I think he had 10 or so uh, uh, mounted models, including camels. Quite a few camels. I uh, love camels. Camels are awesome. Yeah. Oh, they were brutal. I, a couple of times they just charged in, knocked out the horse and the rider, and that's it. No combat for me. No chance. So... I managed to eke out, I think it was like 30 to 27 in that game. It was it was a brutal game, but, you know, we, we got there in the end and, uh, you know, shook hands at the end of the game and, and said, better luck next time. So, uh, and the last one was against Josh, and I, uh, I'm just going to apologize to Josh, because I just said, I did say towards the end of the game, you know, I, I'm playing for a draw here. My, my best result here is a draw. I'm not going to kill enough dwarves in the time limit to uh, actually win this, so. So you slow played him. I slow played, but he, he got me anyway. He got the break. So it didn't matter in the end. I did at one point, um, <laughs> I, I kind of gave him a consolation prize. I threw one Rohirrim uh, towards Dane so that he could get his, uh, what what is it, Champion of Champions? Yep, 25 I'm like, kills. Yeah, you know what, 
I'm playing for the draw. I'll just the let you do that. Kingmaker trying to kick Josh up the tournament. I should not have done that. That was a big mistake. So uh, that that could I, almost I cost think you. I was only broken by a couple of models in the end, so that might have made the difference. That yep. could almost kick Josh up to third. Yep. I am. I look. It this did is kick one Josh thing, up to third. If there's one thing you should know about me, it's uh, if you you don't if think you when beg under me pressure. For mercy, I'm probably going to give it. I'm way too nice. I'm too nice a person. I think everyone around this table will agree. Okay, next time you take a Sorceress Blast, I'm begging for mercy yeah, at that yeah, point yeah. in time. Sorceress Blast, can, mercy. Can you just transfix me, please? So. <laughs> anything, anything but that. So I ended up uh, equal sixth uh, with the three people above me equal third. So I felt like oh, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. It was a good result. Mm. I got more wins than losses, so that's something. Yeah, that's always good. Yeah. No, in the top half is good. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Matt. So good tournament. We had some fun. It was... For me, it was a bit of a coming back because I haven't played a lot of the game over these holidays. Like it's been summer for us, so we're doing other things. I've been doing some serious family time. I've been doing some some other games as well, and and not really getting as much gaming on as I'd like. So it was a really good wake up call, and it actually sort of like I don't like tournament games. I don't like points match games, but it was fantastic to put my Lord of the Rings stuff down and go, "This is the game. This is a really good game. I love this game. This game, and I was having like so much memories." So like I was getting these like flashback scenes. It was like the prequel scenes at the start. Like Galadriel was doing this, this voiceover of my my Lord of the Rings life from the first models I painted through to like what I'm doing now. And when you thought the game was gonna die at the end of the Lord of the Rings, and then suddenly a Gorgoth beast appears, and it's a beacon of hope, and some blue books appears, and it's totally different. And then it's silent. It's just it's calm, calm. It's like the sort of mid mid early third age. Not much is happening. And then suddenly the Hobbit appears. This is the appears. deep breath before the plunge. And it's all, and it's it's over in a flash. And then we're we're ready for it to be like it. It seems like our darkest hour. We get half a source book at the end of the third movie. There's no evil models except for Smaug, there and and a couple of heroes. The good models get a bit of reinforcements, and then once again the hope rises, and we hear until the Middle Earth division ready to save the day, and the Rohirrim finally arrive. And it was like that. Like all the emotions this tournament brought out was just amazing. Jolly good. Bloody Sorcerer's Blast. <laughs> All right. Is so that our month in Middle Earth? I think that's that, our that, month that, in Middle Earth. That's yeah. quite a month. The next month's going to be interesting because we're all becoming back tired and broken from Sydney. It's going to be a huge Yeah, month. a lot of us are going to a fantastic tournament called oh, no. Clash of the Titans in Sydney. We're looking forward to it. As good. the person who's going to be sitting here, I order you to do well. Oh, don't worry. There, there we, is a reputation are, to uphold. We are uphold. assembling a very large Victorian armada to go take on the New South Welshman. Hey, David, I've got an idea. Do you think orcs with stun weapons could do a good job? Depends what you got to back them up. Because they can get the stun. What else have you got? I'll have a think about that. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you about you. I'm throwing design. some clubs into my Harrod list for sure. Yes. Yeah. I tried the flails. They, they, they haven't been helping. I just flail around and die. Yeah, they're, they're not great. <laughs> no. No. The flail is useful if you're trapped and surrounded by models with higher fight. That's not a good place to be. No, <laughs> no. it's not a winning strategy, no. And I pulled out my fight calculator, and it's like, yes, I've got like a 3% chance of winning this fight. That, like, that's why I say put it on a cave troll, because cave trolls always end up trapped and surrounded by models with higher fight. It's the weapon that's built for them. It's a bad idea. Anyway. Well, anyway. they come with troll chains, so they can... Yeah, can that's the thing. Chain. It comes with them yeah. as well. But yeah. Okay.
Moria. You fear to go into those mines. The dwarves delve too greedily and too deep. You know what they awoke in the darkness of Khazag Doom. Shadow and flame. Welcome to Shadow and Past. Shadow and flame. Dun dun dun. The world is grey and the mountains old. The fire's forge is ashen cold. No harp is rung, no hammer falls. The darkness dwells in Durin's halls. In Moria, in Khazad-dûm. The shadow lies upon his tomb. In Moria, in Khazad-dûm. <sighs> so good. I am so excited. I still get goosebumps whenever I hear uh, It was hear like, literally the Khazad-dûm part, I think, is my favourite part in the whole books and the whole movies. Like, just the, the, the going down to this cave of no hope. It's just fantastic. We need a name of portentous dread. What have you got for us? Kazak Doom. And that's what the dwarves called it. Moria in the goblin or orc tongue. So we've got a supplement, the first supplement for Lord of the Rings that came out. It introduced characters that were not in the movie, they were in the book. So people have just seen the what movie. What year did it come out, just out of curiosity? I think you'll find it came out in 2003. Fair while Many ago. Many moons ago. 12 years ago. But this was before the Return of the King came out. It was after the Two Towers came out. So they went back to the Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So it was. it was... The first supplement we had, and it, was, it took, took us by surprise because we didn't necessarily know it was coming. And it gave an excuse to bring out the dwarves and, and talk about Barland's expedition into Moria. It gave an excuse to bring out Tom Bombadil and Goldberry and Barrow Whites and things that were missing and flesh out some characters. And it did a great job of that, written by Alessio Cavatori and Matt Ward. So we start off with a bit about Moria, which we will just go through the whole entire thing with you because it's just so good. All of it? All of it. <laughs> Ready, David? Sure. It is a name of ill omen, Boromir. Moria was founded in the first age of the world, long before the forging of the Rings of Power, and even before the children of Numenor landed on the shores of Middle-earth. In the east of the Misty Mountains did Durin, the father of the dwarves, make his home, far below the peaks of Karakzigl, Barathinar, and Bundashatharakach. Where's Matt when you need him? Zirakzigl, Barazinbar, and Bundushathur. He and his folk fashioned a mighty underground realm, and Kazag Doom, as the dwarves named it, became a testimony to dwarvish skill and proud splendor. As the numbers of Durin's folk grew, so did they fashion new halls from caverns, span bottomless chasms with bridges of stone, and fashion sturdy gates from the very skins of the mountains themselves. Deep below the crags, Moria may have been a place of strength, but it was not a place of darkness. Great windows were let into the sides of the mountains, and carefully crafted channels brought life into the halls below. For long years, and through the lives of many kings, Moria was a mighty realm. Amidst the pillared halls, several generations of dwarf kings sat on the, the carven throne of Durin, and the realm grew rich through the skills of his folks. Moria was wealthy because the mountains were wealthy, and the dwarves delved deep in search of iron, gold, and the gemstones of all kinds. These were the toys and servants of the dwarves, wrought with great skill and cunning to produce all manner of wondrous artifacts that were the envy of the other kingdoms in Middle-earth. Even so, the true riches of khazad were not in gold or iron, but what was called mithril by the elves, or known as true silver in the common tongue. I actually speak in the common tongue, David. Oh. So do all who live to see such times. Hmm. What the dwarves called it, no one knew. For they never told, but Mithril was a substance of wonder, as hard as dragon scale. It could be polished like silver and wrought like iron. 
the elves adored Mithril for its beauty, and soon a great trade route between Moria and the neighbouring land of Eregion was established. Over time, a great friendship grew between the two peoples, nowhere more deeply signified than that on the west gate of Moria, where the emblems of Durin sat alongside those of the High Elves. Alas, to all moments of happiness there is an end, and the days of Moria were numbered, when Sauron came to Eregion. He did not come for Mithril, but instead, with the aid of the Elven smiths of Eregion, he forged the Rings of Power. He came in disguise to the elves, and with his aid and knowledge were forged nine rings for the kings of men, and seven rings for the dwarf lords. The friendship between Moria and Eregion was such that of the seven rings forged for the dwarf lords, one was gifted to the king of Moria. Sauron left Eregion for a time, and in the far lands of Mordor he forged the One Ring, a tool through which he could bend to his own the will of the other ring bearers. Through their wisdom, the elves of Eregion perceived Sauron's intent and hid from him the three rings they had forged for their people. His intent discovered, Sauron revealed his true nature, and his forces crushed the people of Eregion. The west door of Khazag Dûm was sealed, but the folk of Durin remained in Moria, safe in their fortress of stone. Or so they thought. In the outside world, times changed. The East Alliance overthrew Sauron, and his fortress of Baradur was broken. As time passed, the line of Gondor waned, and the power of the elves began to fade. As the Third Age passed by, a shadow fell once more upon Middle-earth. Unconcerned with the affairs of the outside world, the dwarves continued to dwell to delve below the mountain in search of Mithril. Alas, their greed proved to be their undoing, for they went ever deeper, they unleashed a terrible power, a creature of shadow and flame, mightier and more terrifying than any dwarf still living could recall, a Balrog. It slew Durin, king of Moria. So long Durin's, wasn't it? It's a name that they recycle. When they get a king of great might, he gets called Durin. Mm. It's the greatest compliment that you can pay a dwarf king. Yes, and countless others died at his hand. Durin's bane, the dwarves named the Balrog, and helpless before its power, they fled in terror. The gates to the once proud realm were closed, and the mighty halls fell into ruin. The dwarves came eventually to the lonely mountain in Erebor, and there they made their home until the dragon Smaug took it from them. For a long time, Durin's folks were reduced to penniless exiles, their former wealth and glory denied to them. In desperation, the dwarves attempted to reclaim Moria, but goblins and trolls now dwelt there, and the dwarves were driven away. Time passed, and many years later, Indeed, the very year in which Bilbo Baggins found the One Ring, Smaug was slain by Bard of Eskaroth, and the dwarves once more made the Lonely Mountain into their home. Under the rule of King Dane, the halls of Erebor took on a glory to almost rival the lost realm of Moria. But not all were content. Three decades before the ring passed to Frodo, Balin, son of Fundin, persuaded Dane to give him leave to attempt to reclaim Moria thinking that it too could be restored to its former grandeur. Dane let Balin go with a heavy heart, for although he too felt the lure of his heritage, fear of the evil in Moria and of Durin's bane hung heavy on his mind. Balin took many of the folk of Erebor with him, and for a time messengers returned to Dane that spoke of Balin's success and of the reopening of the mines. Ultimately, though, Dane's fears were correct as after but a short span of years, the messages stopped, 
and no more news came from Moria. Balin's fate would stay a mystery until the Fellowship of the Ring travelled through those halls many years later. Oh, so exciting. I want to play scenarios in Moria right now. What about you, Kylie? I've got goosebumps on my goosebumps. Yes. Now, the next part is once again my favourite part. They've actually got a map of Moria, and I love this. And it's got all the key points in there and some enlarged, so the, the realm of Moria. This is fantastic. And it's, in fairness, I, this is one of my favourite parts of this book, and I still use it quite a bit. Then we go on to some pictures of their fantastic Moria terrain, which, Kylie, Amazing. you're going to build, aren't you? I am so because I've been on a massive dwarf painting spree over sort of the Christmas holiday, so I'm really looking forward to making up some Dwarra dwarf ter- terrain and some, some of the mines of Moria to go back and play some of those great scenarios. Yeah, it just looks fantastic. Simple, but just great, great terrain. Mark Jones made that terrain. Then we go in, and we're going to skip through this reasonably quickly because it's it's not a huge amount of relevance, but we introduce a few dwarf characters, and this is... Like I remember at this time, I was one of the few people that had the Metal Dwarf Army because it was a big thing at this time. You had your heroes of Balin. Then you had the Dwarf Captain. And I don't think they released the Dwarf Captain straight away. I think you had to convert it, if I remember. The Dwarf yeah. Kings. So a lot of people converted the Dwarf Kings into Captains. The Kings came out with the Fellowship because yeah, so I had, had they kings. were in the movie for their half second. Because I've still got old Kings that are converted into Captains. And then you had Dwarf Warriors and Kazard Guard. And that was it. That's the Dwarves you had. And it was enough. It was a fantastic army. It, was, it worked. Back in the day, they were one of the most scariest armies you would ever come across. To see those Khazad guards just moving across the board. They're coming for you. Five inches a turn, but they are coming. There is nothing you can do. You have no hope. There is no chance. And then you've got these dwarfs that are defense seven. Seven. Th- this is back in the day where you didn't have your fabulous piercing strikes or your fainting or your lance bonuses on your... Haradrim Cavalry, no, this is only when you have the humble two-handed weapon on your Elven Blade or on your Orc, and that's what you had to deal with dwarves. Yeah, you did, you did not have a lot to do with that, and unfortunately they painted them green with yellow stripes. Painting dwarves. So if you want to paint your dwarves green with yellow stripes, feel free to use this colour scheme. And this is the one with the yellow boots as well. And yeah, it's. I feel like they got told, hey, we've got a paint range for Lord of the Rings, we want to sell different colours. Go use some different colours. Green's not selling. Try and push green. Yeah, it's it. I just don't see it being a dwarf colour. I don't like it. It's it's bright green. I've seen so many wonderful dwarves. I know that it's popular to do them browns or blues or whites. Dark green. Dark green. But no, bright green and yellow. Unfortunately, it, look, and they're doing all these triangles. How are they? How are they stay green in a mine? No, they're gonna look, get so much dust and dirt. I think they're dwarves. They're saying, we can wear whatever colour we want. If we want to be green, we shall be green. And we get to do violence upon any man who disagrees. Unfortunately, they also had the most boring bases in the world as well. They're grey. They're grey. They're grey. They're grey. Yeah. So, look, at the time, these are, these are okay. But they're, they're not the best work I've ever seen for dwarves. You can see no. some fantastic dwarves now. But the models themselves are wonderful. These They're models still, are so good. For some reason, there is those old school dwarf models. The kings, the, the Barlins, the Kazakh guard, even the old dwarf medals somehow, some way, stood the test of time. And 12 years later, they are very much sought after. Thank you, Perry Brothers. And I've got so many of them and I love them. And I'm not giving them up. Well, many of them anyway. So then we move on to scenarios. And we start with a campaign. And this is interesting that initially it talks about playing these four scenarios together. And you've got to pull the dwarves. You've basically got... Uh, 
It's 50, I'll, isn't it? I'll read exactly what you've got. You've got a pool of Barwin, three captains, which we will call Oin, Ori, and Farah, 12 Kazakhs, and 50 Warriors. This is fewer than they would have been, but this is how much you get in the campaign. So if these died, they died. Like if you lost They're them, they're Yeah. Now, it's interesting they say this straight away because I feel like this this was written for the campaign, like initially. Yes. There's yes. some of the scenarios where it is actually really hard to just kill a dwarf warrior full stop. So normally the campaign's an afterthought, but this time it's in there first. It's the it's saying this is what you're doing if you're playing these scenarios. Because we moved on to the first scenario, the East Gate. Oh, I remember getting so excited about this. It's got a manageable amount of dwarves. You've got Balin, four Kazagard, four dwarves with axes and shield, six dwarves with bows, and two with two hand axes. So you've got a decent amount. So you needed to basically get, what was it, 12 dwarves in total? So four blister pack of dwarves, manageable. Balin, four Kazagard, you've got a box of Balin and eight Kazagard. So you put a bit of investment in this. At the time, this was a lot of investment. So you got a good dwarf force. And up against that was two Moria captains, which you converted at the time, and then basically 24 Moria goblins. But the problem was in this scenario is that you only started with half the goblins on the board. So you had a, a dwarf army with like, what was it, uh, 12 plus... Uh, Lots got, of dwarves. Yeah, 17 dwarves against... With Balin. Against 13 goblins. The goblins had Seems to, reasonable. The goblins had to run back to the gate to get reinforcements, which came out piecemeal. So you had this wall of basically 17 dwarves marching through against goblins. And the goblins needed to double the dwarves straight out. And they were being yeah. doubled already. So if you killed a dwarf or two, you actually got really lucky in this. And what you did was essentially use your captains just to kill dwarves. Just use the might points, kill the dwarf. And if you kill two dwarves, you're super happy. So it was it was really an unbalanced scenario. And I remember being so disappointed because disappointed, this was one of the first like scenarios I went through. I prepared. I got it all ready to go. And it was just like, what do we do now? Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And at that time, we weren't experienced enough to just go, Let's just change it. Let's just use all the goblins at the start. And then when you get reinforcements, your dead mobs can start coming back. We didn't think about anything like that. We didn't didn't hmm. have any idea. We just, just said, what, what's the point of playing the rest of them? But we did play the rest of them. And the next... So, oh, before we go that, before the next scenario comes in, we have some goblins. Some new S- goblins, which I, yeah. I forgot that they came out in this book. And these were these were a really big deal back back then because... Goblins had two big problems. One, they just ran away whenever they got yeah, broken. Yeah, their courage was rubbish. And two, they had a tendency to lose a lot of combat. They didn't have banners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they decided to give them Derbert, the Goblin King of Moria. The Goblin King. With his mighty 12-inch stand fast, which still he has today. Still the same. He's like one of the few models that hasn't had any changes in any any way, shape, or form. Mm, including model as well. It's still yeah. the same old model. Still the same model. And the good old Goblin Drum. For the goblin dr- now, this is such a staple. It's yeah. such a fantastic one. And now, this is the standard version. You've got to set you it up before you start up. playing you it. Gotta, you you got to place it where you want. Drop it down. I remember back in the day, and I remember playing a game against you, Jeremy, and you had a Goblin Drum, and it was a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. I remember running at it with elves and just elves dying in droves because I couldn't get to the Goblin I Drum. I remember playing against the Goblin Drum, and I... I Work the player over so much because what I did is I ran my whole force forward, so they plonked down the goblin drum, ready to bash it next turn, and then I literally moved everyone back out of the drums range. I just I just ran them backwards, and then he picked up the drum again. And then I ran forwards and I ran backwards, and every time a drum would come in, I just ducked back out of its range and just really annoyed the person. But it was hard to do because an eighteen inch range, fantastic. You know the val- val- the value of banners. This was a wonderful one. It's expensive, but it was wonderful. Mm. 
On the next page, we've just got some more lovely mass battle pictures, a couple of cave trolls. And didn't we get another character? We got the shaman, didn't we? That's later in the book. Yeah. Oh, later in the shaman book. Shaman Sharp later. And then we have scenario two, the battle for Dwarf, which I am super excited to wanting to play. So you got a really large group of dwarves. I think it's nearly 30 dwarves. You got Balin, two captains, eight Khazards, 10 doors with shield, 10 with dwarf bow, five with axes. And the evil side has Durbers, a captain, two shamans, a drum, and then like 36 Moria goblins and two cave trolls. Yeah, so this one could be interesting in that like both those forces have got upgrades in the previous the, the, the most current rules. Mm. So the trolls are a lot scarier now. But mm. then But like, the axes are a lot the scarier. The axes are a lot scarier and the strikes mean that like in this time a cave troll, if it won a fight, you're stuffed because it was higher fight than you. Mm. Now your captains can go hunting the trolls, pierce and strike up, and then actually have a good chance of taking out the trolls. Mm. So I, I'm thinking it probably but, be reasonably balanced. Yeah, but by the same token, the goblins still have captains, and you pair a captain up with a cave troll, and you got Renderama. And I think this is the best part about this scenario that I'm really looking forward to making this table. Renderama. That is Render- fantastic. Yep. There's I a nice two-inch chasm through the center of the board. Cave trolls on roller skates. Now we can jump the chasm. Traps. In the traps sp- against the chasm. But traps <laughs> against the chasm, yep. you get pushed in. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you just fall down to the next level. Except so for the uh, two-inch wide bridge in the center of the table. Yep. Yeah, scary. So if you, ju- like, if you jump the chasm, suddenly you're trapped against it. So you don't really want to do that. But then if you cross... The- oh, it's Who just- has more shooting? That's the question. The, um, the doors have do. nine bows and the... Goblins have 12 Moria Goblins. So the there. Goblins are jumping the chasm and getting pushed in by Dwarves. And they're getting re-rolls, yeah, basically, yep. because that's they've got to do that, because the Dwarves mm-hmm. are staying yep. back. So the Goblins can't fail the jump test to jump the chasm, but they generally get pushed back. And you're probably going to try and cross the bridge of a troll. Yes. Yeah, so you're and send... the, the, the bridge isn't that wide, so you kind of have to jump the chasm at some point, unless you want to go the long way around the border through the like the little raised area on the very, very side. Mm-hmm. As you know from it, like playing against dwarves, you don't want them to be able to fight in a small frontage, because no. they'll just dominate. You need to go trap and surround them, so you're going to have to take the risk. And the goblins have the advantage that they can, I think they can re-roll jump tests or something. They get plus one to their jump. Oh, okay. So they're pretty reliable jumping it, but yeah, you don't want to get pushed back. Mm-hmm. So then we flip the page and we got this really cool sort of uh, layout and um, paint jobs of the Balrog and a couple of cave trolls. And these are the old school metal cave trolls too. So they're really nice looking ones. Oh yeah, I just pretend the plastic one doesn't exist. Yeah, the metal ones are fantastic. And it's before they had... They actually, all the metal ones are good. They had one that came out afterwards. This was the old school one with spears mm. and chains in the same position. So then we have scenario three, which is called Miramir. So this is where Balan decides to um, follow in the footsteps yeah. of Durin and, you know, go go up to the top of Moria and have a little siesta next to a giant pool of water that's sitting up there. And stooped and looked in Miramir and saw a crown of stars appear like gems upon a silken thread above the shadow of his head. I love how you just memorise those off the top. You did so much preparation for this episode, Dave. Thank you very much. Yeah, and... It, it's great that they follow the story straight away out of the books. Like, this is what happened. And I've been listening to the BBC recordings lately. And they talk about the mirror, mirror and that sort of stuff. And it's just so evocative of this. It was, it was great fun. So this one, there's basically a small amount of dwarves, isn't there? Yeah, it's a very, very small contingent. You've got Balan, a captain, eight Khazards, two shield dwarves, three dwarves with bow, and one dwarf and an axe. 
So you've got your elites, but very small amount of warriors. This yeah. was the one in the book where a orc snuck up behind him and shot him in the back. So yeah. they killed the orc, and they're like, yeah, we killed that orc. So then more orcs came, and they're like, oh, come on. There's more of them? There's not just yeah. one orc? And, oh, no. And to put in perspective, the evil size precision I find is really interesting. You got a goblin captain, a goblin shaman, mm. eight goblins with shield, eight goblins with spear, cave troll, but 16 warrior goblins with orc bow. Yeah, but they weren't afraid to mix it up in this stage. Like, yeah, uh, later on they they went exactly what was in boxes. In this point, they they were just thought, no, we want more bows. Let's just double the amount of bows. Everyone's got a million goblins. They they all got battle games in Middle Earth. Who yeah. cares? You just buy two of the first pack yeah. and problems. Now this part is actually the most worn out page in my book. It's got the dwarf alphabet, dwarven runes, and I paint dwarf runes on everything dwarfish. So I just use this as a re- I actually use this as a reference mm-hmm. all the time. I've got it in my painting table. It's fantastic. And it's also got some really cool geometric shapes for the dwarves as well, which look like like old sort of Viking yeah. patterns and things. Because mm. unlike Elvish, Dwarvish is a straight letter for letter substitution with the common tongue. Yes. So you just go, we need an A, there's the A, we need a H, there's the H. That would have been really handy for me a few years ago when I was doing my uh, Ark Army list, which I wrote in Dwarvish Runes, which I tried to find off the internet, but this one is much simpler. It's so clear, mm. and it's so... Mm. It's, I think, it's really um, and I'm thinking of taking Dwarves to Cimmerilli later in the year. I think I might be stealing that page. Yeah, no, it's... it's, it's, it's like They have... I'm not joking. Wait. It gets so much use. They have a ruin, which you use for if the E is silent. I'm liking this. Yeah, yeah and then there's some other ones in there as well, so... Yeah, it, it's the ch and the sh sounds as well. Mm. No, Plus really the numbers really as well, which is always cool. Now, the scenario. The scenario. This oh, I have played this so many times with you, Jeremy, and this is probably my yeah, favorite. Yeah, we love this one. Scenario four. They are coming. Basically, I love the objective of this scenario. You've got to get one dwarf to survive, to tell the story, and the bell will get eaten the crap out of all your dwarves. So this, yeah. this is my kind of scenario. Your dwarves are going to die. They have to escape past the Balrog. They have to get through the gates and leave. And then you roll a die to see if they survive. And it's like a minute chance of them surviving. It's a one in six, isn't it? Yeah, it's a one, one in six, six they survive. So it's not difficult in the fact that getting dwarves off. It's the fact that you've got to roll that one in six. And I remember playing this scenario so many times. And the Balrog comes on one side. So you're like, I don't want to have to deal with the Balrog. So you're like running away from the Balrog. But the problem is all the other gates and entrances. Full of goblins. They're full of goblins. You have to like beat your way through the goblins to try and get out. Didn't you have to also kill a certain number of goblins? So when you did deliver the message, it wasn't a case of, and then we all died. You could tell a story of an epic battle. You are entirely correct. The good side wins if one or more dwarves reach Erebor with the one in six chance once they get off. And the dwarves save their honor if at least 20 goblins are killed including ones accidentally slain by other goblins. So you got to love that rule. Yeah, yeah. You've got to go kill the goblins, which is hard as well. Because you, you think you just like... We used to play this game when we were kids. We called it Octopus. And basically, you ran across the gym and a bunch of... Uh, one person tries to tag you. And when they tag you, you stand on your spot and you just grab kids as they come by and they become like terrain as well. Yeah. Part of the octopus. So it's like live war gaming. Yeah. And, and your aim is just run past. And that's what you do with the dwarves. Like, you've got a Balrog there. He's, he's massive. But you can only kill a dwarf or two a turn. So like... All your mates run past him. He grabs a few of them and they all just sprint off and go, oh no, he's coming. But you've got to kill the, the goblins as well. So if you all do that sprint, you might not kill enough goblins and they'll just munch up your other dwarves. So oh, it was just so much fun. And me rolling a six just doesn't happen. Was I remember the, the time we played, the very first time I ever played this scenario, I was playing with Jeremy and John and it was intense. The entire way through, we were like trying to just sneak off one and John managed to sneak one off and I managed to get two off like, really flukily and then we went for the rolls 
and John rolls the first one, he rolls a one. And he rolls for the second dwarf and he rolls a two and he goes, Kylie, you gotta take the last one. Picked up the dice. And this is back when I just started playing the game too, so I hadn't used any of my luck yet. And lo and behold, it's six come up and Jeremy scorns at the moon going, no way of being foiled. Yeah, no, I was, I was a bit, bit dark on that because I did so much work for it. So the participants in the scenario, which bears, bears a bit of a mention, is two dwarf captains, five Kessel Guard, ten dwarves with axes and shield, five dwarves with the, the bows, and five dwarves with two-handed axes. So you get, what is it, 27 dwarves, which is a fair amount. If you play it as a campaign, you basically get whatever's left. So you mm-hmm. just throw out whatever survived in the campaign, and then they just get eaten up by the Balrog, which I think is really yeah. cool because they're all going to die. If one survives, yeah. you've done your job. Chronicler yeah. survives. How many men does it take to deliver a message? Yeah. Only one. Yes. So it's just, uh, it's so evocative. And I love that it's set up on Balan's Tomb as well. So you mm. get that, if you've got that terrain set up, it's not a four by four board, but it's just so much fun to use the Balrog. And it was another scenario of the Balrog, because until this point, the Balrog, yeah. you only use the Balrog in the one where you, you break the bridge. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the other one where he fights Gandalf on top of six of them. Yeah, but that was like a mini game. That was a mini game, yeah. pretty much. Though this complicated mini game, better mini This game. is the version of Balan's Tomb, which had four doors rather than two yeah. as well. Yeah, it was. It, they they had a terrain board set up for it, and I think it was based on early designs, so they didn't know the scale. It's of based it. on the very first um, uh, Balan's Tomb with the Fellowship. It's the mm-hmm. same dimensions and the same layout. Yeah. Yep. And then we go over the page. We finished our four scenario campaign, and we go. It's just an ad. Like it's it's literally just the models they've released so far. So you got the free peoples and servants of the enemy. Pretty sparse pages. Not a lot of stuff released, but it's it's good to get it out there. I don't think they have every single thing. I think they got pretty close to it, but I don't think they've got every poses of the Orc Warriors here. So no, they don't. No, so there's some missing, but it's just a little catalogue. It's honestly just a bit of a waste of space. It's to fill out the pages. Yeah, yeah they, had, they had nothing else to do on those pages. Then we get to basically the setup for one of my favourite scenarios ever. So we've got to the Burrow Downs. Burrow Downs lie to the south of the Great East Road that links Rivendell with the Grey Havens. Between the Shire and the village of Bree, a series of grassy hills and valleys, scattered with monoliths and rings of white stone. The Downs are a quiet, eerie place where no trees grow and no water flows. Although now abandoned by the living, the Downs were once home to many small kingdoms of men who fought endlessly among themselves. One by one the kingdoms fell, and the fortifications crumbled into ruin, leaving only the cold tombs of long-dead kings buried deep within the hills. The Burrow Downs long ago acquired an evil reputation, and even in the sheltered lands of the Shire they are said to be a place of unquiet spirits and lurking horror. The Downs are separated from the Shire by the imposing depths of the old forest, all that remains of the great wood that once covered Eriador. This is scant comfort to the hobbits, as the old forest is also a sinister place, where pathways shift and intruders feel the malevolent will of the ancient trees that dwell there. Yes, ancient trees. So we've got a couple characters here. Three. The Barrowites, pretty much unchanged now. Uh, they might have got a change or two, but they're, they're basically what they were. They introduced a power called Paralyze which is an amazing power. Such an amazing power. You've got Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, which suddenly introduced models that can't be killed. They've got a stat line full of question marks. 
they got points of almost nothing in this one. It's 80 and 70 points. And then but got this is the one the where they cannot leave the old forest. Yes. So unless you agreed with your opponent beforehand that you were playing in the old forest, which if anyone ever asked you, hey, can we play in the old forest? The answer is no. No, no we're you, not in this old you forest. You say no. <laughs> you say you want to play in the old forest? We're playing this scenario. You're not playing a points match game in the old forest <laughs> with me. So then we had we have some pictures of the Barrow Downs. So they made some terrain with Barrows and a, and a house of Tom Bombadil, painted up all the models, and a scenario called Frog on the Barrow Downs, which also had a box release for it, which contained four Barrowites, four Paralyzed Hobbits, Tom Bombadil, and Goldberry. And it's a, it's a pretty good box. It's, mm. you know, um, it's not the only way to get those models anymore, is it? It's the Paralyzed Hobbits you can only get from there. Yeah. But you can get the Barrowites separately. You can separately. get the Barrowites separately and get... Tom Bobby with Goldberry separately. separately. Yes. So it's not necessary. The Paralyzed Hobbit, you can just use a marker or lie them on the ground. But this scenario is so close to what it is now. It's been released quite a few times. It's just an amazing scenario. Basically, I think we've talked about it in the scenario spotlight, but basically... Yes, we have. The Barrowites are trying to pull the Hobbits into the Barrows. The Hobbits are trying to resist this. And the Hobbits, one of them a turns getting powered up by Tom Bombadil. Like, he comes on later. And once he comes on, you're okay. If you get Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, you're pretty much safe. Oh, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo, by water, wood, and hill, by reed and willow, by fire, sun, and moon, hearken now and hear us. Come, Tom Bombadil, for our need is near us. If you ever need to summon Tom Bombadil. That's what you have to sing. You actually have to sing that. It's in the rules. So you need to sing sing the song of Tom Bombadil, Ho, Tom Bombadil. So when he comes up, he's basically like holding back a barrel white because he goes and walks up to the barrel white's face and just starts like pushing him. And he's he's reviving a hobbit, so he's saying, "Oh, you have a point of mind back. You have a wound back, or you have a point." And of back. get up off the ground. You're not paralyzed. Get anymore. off. The, yeah, get up. Get up. So, but it's a race between that and the, the Barrowites love to sacrifice hobbits. So it's it's just such a fun scenario, and it's one that actually doesn't have a lot of death. Like you, you got so little models, you got so much game going on for so little. Because usually, when you get a death, that's pretty much game over by that point. If you kill two hobbits, you're well and truly in yeah. the evil side. Yeah, it's it's exciting. And then we had basically another appendix where we go off to Rivendell. Rivendell, the last homely house, known as Imladris in the elven tongue. It's one of the few elven strongholds left in Middle-earth. Hidden in a narrow valley in the western foothills of the Misty Mountains, Rivendell is ruled by Lord Elrond, half-elven. He is the bearer of Vilyar, the Ring of Air, one of the three elven rings, and it is thanks to the powers of this great ring that Rivendell is kept safe from the enemy. The court of Elrond is a place of peace and healing, filled with the music of elven harps. There, the minstrels compose songs and poems, preserving the invaluable wisdom and the lore of the elves and of the other free peoples. Here, travellers can find solace, rest, and guidance before facing the many dangers of the wild. Now, Rivendell is fantastic. The artwork in this section is amazing. It is it's so phenomenal. good. Like the, the picture of Glorfindel and the Elven brothers. Love it, love it, love it. The models they released. Hate them, hate them, hate them. They were so bad. They're out of proportion. Why couldn't they just do it the way they've drawn them in this book? Don't get Gary Morley to make Lord of the Rings stuff off pictures. He can't do it. He's okay at the movie pictures. He's terrible at ones that they've released. They're out of proportion. Like this Glorfindel they've painted. Nice proportion. His like wrists aren't like double the size of his head. No, not so in the one. He's not no. like he's the Lord of the West. He's beefed up his wrists. He's done. He's his not wrist holding exercises. his sword in a, like an impossible situation. He's got a thin sword. Here. No, not the case in the model. The elf twins 
are actually have got arms that could function as arms, not like broken in four places. Like, it, it's just doing oh, some sort of weird yoga pose. Oh, they're just so like the, are the no, arms. They're showing are... off their flexibility. They're not fighting. They're going, ha ha! Look what I can do. It's, it's okay, Jeremy. It's okay because when they re- GW released their armored poses, they did them justice. On horse. There's still a bit of monkey twin in them. No, no. The, the elven twins on horse good. are all right. And the, the one Gryffindor like on toilet. foot. Whatever you do, fine. do not get dismounted. <laughs> yes, because then it looks like you've got, you got toilet. Them. Yeah. It's like Alan Dan's head is as big as his torso. His head is as big as his <laughs> hands at the same time. His hands are as big and, as his torso. And one of his hands Why? is backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's showing off how flexible he is. He's like, huzzah. Hey, look, I'm double-jointed. Elro here doesn't have elbows. His arms don't function in that way. They are elves, remember. <laughs> yeah. And and look, you've got a picture here, the classic orcs. So that almost makes up for it. Classic orcs. Love classic orcs. And then you've got a page called Magic in Middle-Earth where you've got Eradicus the Brown, who you may have heard about in this episode or you may be hearing about in this episode. And Treebeard. Treebeard was already released. Radagast wasn't. And then some other magicians, some shamans, Urukai shamans. We should point out that Treebeard and Radagast pose is picture is pretty much the justification behind almost every Treebeard army you'll ever see because they run Treebeard, they run Radagast, and they go, there was a photo of it once. Yeah. It, it happened. We have the photo. It's themed. It's themed. Radagast always hang around a Treebeard. Yeah, fair enough. So we had a, a scenario. Scenario six is based on a, a ruined watchtower, which suspiciously looks like it could be an Amon uh, Amon Hen scenario, and it's a, basically an excuse to get elves attacked by the evil forces they had at the time, goblins and orcs. The Numenorians had a standard design that they built all their watchtowers to, apparently. It's a fun scenario. It's got an elf horde in there, and it's one that was hard to play at the time because there's so many elves in it. Yeah, one recommendation is don't make the hill too fortified. You need it pretty open up, yeah, otherwise yep. it the problem, becomes a blowout. The problem I had when I played that one one time was the elves went, the goblins are fairly slow, so let's just rush the orcs and smite them without, you know, elven prowess. And then the goblins are like, oh, hmm, we're now attacking elves that outnumber us because the goblins have been smited. No, because the orcs have been smited. Yeah. You have to be smart about it. You have to Mm -hmm. back off with both forces and engage at the same time. It's tricky to do. Yeah, Yeah, you basically But the elves didn't let them. They just rushed the orcs. We had a similar Mm -hmm. thing, me and Jeremy, Mm -hmm. when that happened and the orcs did this weird, like, duke Yes, yeah. Duke I sold to the, the side and then linked up with the goblins and the elves went, oh crap, and tried to fight the way elves and then failed and then yeah. cl- clutch nature's wrath by um, Arwen won the day. Yeah. And then we move on and we've got the rules for certain magic warriors. And I'm not going to let David read out this one because it's a bit generic in there. So you can read it yourself if you want to. But we had rules for models that which are staples of the game now. Yeah. We got Radagast the Brown, the Moria Goblin Shaman, and the Urukai Shaman, which were. Mind boggling. We were not no, expecting no to orc get, shaman. We were not expecting to get these models. No orc shaman. shaman. No orc shaman. The shaman. Well, the orcs weren't really. Sort no, of they weren't fleshed out, and they were sort of yeah. abandoned for a while. Like you had the old metal ones, but they weren't. Like they had one in the. It scenario. literally took to Return of the King for them to come out in plastic for us to get yeah. any sort of decent orcage. Like you had an orc army, really. Mm-hmm. Well, you okay. go play that two forty orc scenario. Because um, in the first two movies, pretty much all they did was cook up some urukai. That's about it. Yeah. So these shamans are actually a real controversial thing when they first came out. People didn't like them because no. why have orcs got magic? 
Yeah, and they also didn't like him because of the Fury Rolls yeah. as well. That was pretty yeah. pretty rude back then. And people then. thought they were all about the Fury Rolls, like getting saves was the way to get it. It was always the courage. The mm, courage was yeah. the amazing thing about it. But I found it really interesting because the old Fury Rolls, you used to lose the Fury when the Shaman lost combat. I do miss that. So that was it was fun. all a race against time to char- just charge the Shaman. That's all you had to do to, yeah. to beat it. Was and just every now it. and then he won the combat and you're like, ah, oh, come on. That was so good. I wish they had that back instead of yeah. the exhaustion. That was so good. The idea is he loses focus because you whacked him in the face. And you could recast it. Yes. So you lost it and you had some will. So you're like, last point of will, come on. You know. That was so much better. Yeah. And Radagast was a really big change from, like, when you think the wizard. You didn't have Sorcerer's Blast. Transfix, Compel, Sorcerer's Blast. Radagast has really none of those. He has a Transfix, but... Has, One out of three ain't bad. He has terrifying aura. He has renew. He has panic steed, aura of dismay. All these really quirky spells that really not many other characters have. And oftentimes you, you find a game. You, some of them are just useless. Like if you've got, if you don't have lots of multi wound models, you're not going to cast renew. Yeah. Um. If you've got a small leap force like ants and eagles, you're not going to do the aura of dismay. Mm. Or if the opponent's high aura. courage. Yeah. My favorite, favorite, favorite special rule out of everything that that Radagast has. Something to do was, with some sort of cra- ra- raven? Oh, yeah. Well, a Line very big raven. It was, if Radagast is included in any army, you may also include Guahir at the plates indicated. This is exceptional to the rules to normal Guahir in any force. So this was the one way you could get Guahir in, in your army. And this was back when Guahir could allow a wizard to mount. Couldn't you take Gandalf and then take Guahir instead? Yes. Yep. Yes. You yeah, could do that. Yeah, yep. But you so had to one take of one ways. of those two wizards. Got it. Yep. Yeah, no, that was really good. Really good. Wizards riding Great Eagle. What will they think of next? Yep. And we've got a scenario here, which is a bit of a mix mash of whatever happens. It's Fangorn. So you've got Radagast, Guahir, Treebeard, the all-stars of the woods. And then a bunch of writers. Interestingly of enough, are pretty much their own faction now as well. Yeah, yeah. And you see, actually see them together quite a bit now. Mm. And then the evil side, you had a couple of Urukai shamans, a couple of captains, and a bunch of random Urukai, like siege force. Because that's mm-hmm. what you had at this time. So they set the siege forces to go lay waste to Fangorn. And you just got, oh my God, there's a Radagast, Guahir, and Treebeard in Fangorn. <laughs> We've really stuffed this up. We thought there was just a Treebeard. But there's actually Radagast and Guahir. So it's it like, a bit of a mixed match. Of we everything. need wood for the furnaces. Who do we send? Send our siege specialists yeah. to, lay, <laughs> to cut down. They can blow up the trees with their bombs. Yep. Oh, that was no bombs. Stump here. jumping or whatever. Just Send the berserkers to chop down trees. <laughs> yes. like, like they get the war paint on. Like, what are you doing today? Oh, yeah, the berserker is like slapping on war paint and handprints and that. I'm going to chop me some wood. Yeah. They got swords for it though. They got really yeah. big swords. Because it's the berserker, you've got to run at the enemy naked. So he's running <laughs> at the trees naked, chopping them down. Why are you chopping wood naked? Why? Why not? It's fun. <laughs> and then we've got a summary of profiles in case you don't want to read through the book and get that. And some nice pictures of Radagast and Guahia, the Durbers, the Goblin King of Moria, and the Balrog with some flame going. Great book. Loved it. Some good nostalgia in there. I will, we want to play through that scenario again. That Dwarf one. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. I'm so keen to do that. David, do you want to play along with this? Sure. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get some dwarves. Get some boards. The only one I'm really not interested... Well, the, the couple I'm really not that interested in playing again. I'll play them for a gaming point of view. The Fangorn one, eh, it's a bit of everything. Like, yeah. like it's not that appealing. Surrounded, I do want to give a go at, because the elf spam list against mm. wards are actually quite fun. Uh, the Bar- Fuck of the Barrow Downs, I'll play any day of the week. You, you tell me you want to play that, I'll play that straight away. But yeah, the Fangorn one is just like... Yeah. And the escape. 
I did like that, that they had models, so they made a scenario for them at this point. Mm. Like, it was a real shock when they started making scenario models that didn't have scenarios. And I wish, I hope, if Adam's listening to this, Adam Trophus, if you're listening to this, which you must be, I'm sure you are. Everyone who's anyone listens. Please, please go back and just fill out the, the, the models that don't have scenarios. Make some scenarios, please, Adam. I will be forever grateful. We would love you to the end of time. Yes. I'll, I'll even, man- I'll give you a shout out. That's what I'll do. That <laughs> Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Well, you an become offici- famous. An official vote of thanks is waiting for you. Yes. Uh, thanks in advance, anyway. All in favor of thanks in advance. Aye. Yes. Aye. Aye. The ayes have it. The an official vote it. of favor. That is Shadow in the Past, Shadow and Flame. The Astari. The Astari. The Astari. Okay, Matt, Jeremy. Yes. Picture if you will. I will. It's early third age. Darkness stirs in the Greenwood. I was young in that time. Some people have started to call it Mirkwood. There is a great evil afoot. The Lords of the West take counsel as to what action they may perform. What action shall we perform, counsel? So, they summon the Ring of Doom, which is where they all sit in a circle and discuss weighty matters of importance. I thought it was going to be, like, the one ring. No, no, no. This, the Ring of Doom had the name first. Sauron just copied it. That's an unfortunate naming. (laughs) It's probably a copy-paste error. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But yeah, they summon the Ring of Doom. Now, they can't intervene themselves, because last time they tried that, when the Valar go to war... Uh, collateral damage is a word oh, that gets thrown around. Like damage. mountains rise and fall and oceans spill over and people, you know, millions get buried under avalanches. As, as anyone who knows any mythology whatsoever, don't make gods fight. So yes. They wreck the place. So it yes. doesn't end well for anyone. So and then they like, go and marry their sisters for some reason. So yeah, pretty much they're like, we cannot afford a direct confrontation because we'll wreck the place that we're trying to save. That and we don't actually get on with the elves because, you know, there was falling out back in the first stage, and we don't talk about it. But well, anyway, no, um, it's, politi- yeah, it's politically unadvisable for us to physically intervene at this stage. Mm-hmm. What can we do? What can we do? We can get some help. They're like, no, we've got a plan. We'll get a small contingent. We'll send them over to win the hearts and minds of the locals, to train and equip them to defend themselves. Yes. Contingent? Yes. Okay, go on. Yeah, close enough. So anyway... We'll send over a small group that win the hearts and minds of the locals. They'll train them and equip them to defend themselves and to resist this evil that is a rising. small contingent, if you will. Yes, that's the word I was after. So, they're like, we'll get some of the Maya. We'll degrade their power. Because if we just send them over, they'll get into a straight fight. And that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. Because we'll have to pump in reinforcements. So, we're going to basically put them in disguise. Yes, we're going to disguise them to a point where they cannot actually fight Sauron by themselves. So, they'll have to rally the locals. Yeah, <laughs> get some help. But... They'll, they'll grow weary, they'll grow tired, they'll be in physical bodies. Who would accept such a great and dangerous task? So, we must give them, like, fantastic, fabulous clothes. So, what we're going to do is dress them all up in their own colours, except for two of them, which are going to go to the party with identical clothes, and just, like, turn up to Middle-earth and just go, 
oh my god, you are not wearing the same robes as me, are you? No, nah, they were they were good friends. It was totally cool. Yeah, that was it. cool. <laughs> yeah, you just just gave them like <laughs> a, okay. a fist pump or whatever. Like kind of yeah, like yeah, how twins go to parties roll. with yeah. the same outfit. Oh, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. So anyway, okay. the Ring of Doom said we shall seek out three volunteers for this mission. Mm. So they put out the word that they're looking for agents to go to Middle Earth. I will volunteer. Yes, Saruman volunteered. Servant of leave. He's the servant of Aeol. The Valar, oh, yeah. in charge of crafting and smith work. I think it's pronounced Ale. Yeah. It so, Ale. Ale. Yes, and, and, and I think that's appropriate for me to be the one in charge of smith work and crafting. Yes. The interesting point is, Sauron was also a servant of Ale. I think so, that's appropriate for me as well. So, yes. So, Saruman has volunteered to go hunt down his old comrade and bring him back to the, you know, bring him back to the light. To see, teach him the error of his ways. I can't see anything wrong with this. So, yeah. So... It doesn't actually say that they knew each other, but the Maya are a tight-knit group, so we've got to assume that they're only from so way many back. of them. Yes. There, there wasn't heaps, no. They, they would have known each other. Yes. Yeah, One of the... If not by name, then by reputation. Yes. And, and you know Sauron. Like, yes. he's a pretty big yeah. dude. One of the blue wizards, whose name I always forget, he volunteered also. And he said he was the servant of Aram the Hunter. He's like, I shall go forth. Alatar. Alatar. Thank you, Matt. So, there's two of them. They're like, weren't we going to send three? We can find no one else willing to volunteer. So Manwe, chief of the Valar, says, Where is Gandalf? For I much desire to speak with him. And they summon Gandalf, who had just returned from a long journey. And Gandalf refused. He said, I will not go on this quest, for I fear Sauron. His strength is great, and I am too weak. Especially if you're going to weaken me some more. But Manwe said, No, we are sending you, because Gandalf was a servant of Manwe. I am sending you on this mission. It's my representative. You will go. And he said, Sure, cool. You do not refuse a direct (laughs) order from the Valar. So, they had their team of three. Except, what's her name? Varada? The Lady of the Valar said, No, he will not be the third. And Saruman heard this. And the others heard this. And they're like, Does he mean that he will not be the third? He will be the first? No, no, because, like, my son Eric, have you heard him count? Mm -hmm. You go, how many fish are there? And he goes, one, two, four, five, one, two. Like, every single time. I'm pretty sure he got that from the Valar. That's mm-hmm. their counting system. They skip three, and then they go back to one or two after yeah. fives. They, they had some, you know... Varda did make a lot of stars. Yes, so she's in charge of making yeah. stars, yeah. yes. So you can imagine her that counting. her experience with numbers would be a little bit out there. Yeah, yeah, one, you know? two, yeah. four, five, one, yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she is the one that actually put messages in the stars at one point. So if you look up and you see a message written in the stars, like actually written... That's her. Did like she also put all those a... pictures like constellations and stuff? Yes. Oh, I like, love Like, there's the sickle of the Valar, because as the stars turn, like, Morgoth had his fortress in this one point, so as the stars turn during the night, this giant sickle would come up and smash down his fortress it. Like, in every a really night. clear night, like, you go in the country, you can see the actual lines to make all the diagrams. Like, if you see, like, the Southern Cross, it actually makes a cross in there. Like, that's so fantastic. You can't really see it in the oh, city. Yeah. You've got to wear the special it's glasses. It's really great that yeah. Varda did that, yeah. Yeah, Varda is cool. it. So, Varda's anyway. But um, Yavana comes up, Valar in charge of nature, and says, I have somebody I want, I want on this mission. Yeah, and she, let me in on it. she works her political power. She calls in her favours. She begs to let this bloke go. So Radagast gets added to their number. That's the one. They've you, now got four for their three-man team. Me? Me? You called me? Yeah, that guy. That's exactly how that went down. So yeah, pretty when much was taken. huge amount of political pressure got put to ensure that this guy went on the mission. Me? Saruman didn't like this. He argued vehemently, but you do not refuse the direct request of a Valar. Don't take that, idiot. Me? So anyway, they set sail for Middle-earth, and that morning they departed. 
the other blue wizard rocked up, said, I'm friends with I'm friends with that guy. Yeah, Oi, Palando, said, Palando, mate. Come on. Can I come? Saruman said yes. Palando's like, hey, bro, where, where are you heading off to? Oh, I'm just going to go chill in Middle Earth. Now, oh, well, can I come? Yeah, sure. Sure, yeah, but we're sorry, we've, we've, you can take one of my spare blue robes because we haven't got any yeah. other colours. No, the spare clothes. No, sorry, no, sorry. Some people have suggested that the blue wizards are beneath Radagast the Brown, so it goes white, grey, brown, blue. Beneath me? We do not believe that that is the case. Partly because Saruman did not argue that for the other blue wizard to come along. It's possible that he was just tired of losing arguments at this stage, so said, yeah, sure, join us. But it's probably that the blue wizards were actually decent, you know, strength-wise, because Orm the Hunter isn't known for associating with weaklings. If you were part of his company, then you are part of the company of the Hunter. So what we're saying is the blue wizards are possibly the best wizards ever. Little, little below Saruman, probably a little below Gandalf, but, but they're up there. They're strong. Especially since there's two of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, so might have, they might have done a lot. They might have done nothing. Or they might have just sent uh-huh. everything backwards. Who knows? We'll get there. Who we'll knows? get there. We're do on the think, boat. Do you think they like wrote the their name on their robes? Or do they, they just share just, them? Just A and no, P. Because nobody knows who they are. Well, very few people do. And, and they have to know which, whose robes is which. Yeah, that's right. So... I think just A and P. Like when they're mm-hmm. doing like washing or whatever, like they're throwing it all in the Middle Earth washing machine, which is like a big bucket with wine in it and stuff. They got their mum to sew their names on the inside of their robes. Yeah. yeah. I thought I was... they would have marked them with magic, but never mind. Oh, yeah, fair enough. That's pretty much the same. So anyway, thing. we're on a boat. We get to the Havens. They meet Kierdan, the master of the Havens. And he welcomes them, and it's all good. Except then, he slips in secret a ring to Gandalf. A ring of power and says, you will need this during the coming quest. Did he do like a secret handshake as well? I thought he sort of like winked at him, sort of tapped the size of his nose and said, you know, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Tip sort of the cap. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so He's anyway. got big eyebrows, so I reckon he could do that. You know how in like movies, how when um, someone wants to hand a USB drive to someone else and they, do they that hide it in the newspaper? Shake, that's, that's what I reckon. Yeah, that, that's what, that's, that's what Kidan did. Okay. I was thinking more the get smart, hide it in a newspaper and throw it at him. But either way. Oh, Kieran as Maxwell Smart. <laughs> yes. So, this is Saruman's team. He has him. He has the two blue wizards who are both fairly reliable. And he likes them. He's, he's, he's a fan yes. of the blue wizards. He has Radagast, who is only there because severe political pressure was applied to ensure he was added to the team. What? Me? And he has Gandalf, the guy who openly admits he is not strong enough to handle this quest, but Varada herself is pushing him to take command, and the elves who worship Varada above all, have slipped in one of the three rings of power as a sign of their support. So, Saruman's in trouble. I feel like he's a plant. Yes. It's all coming together at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. Saruman's in some serious trouble. He's, this is his team, and they're already coming apart at the seams. But, remember, the original plan was for three. There's him, there's the two blue wizards. He has three reliable blokes. He thinks he can still pull this off. He departs to the far east with the two blue wizards. We don't hear from them for ages. So we have to assume that they're following the mission. They're sticking to the plan. They're off battling Sauron's minions in the Far East. That's a fair jump. In the meanwhile, Gandalf, he rocks around doing whatever Gandalf did, which was a whole lot of nothing, but did it in style. Wondering. Um, And this is where we get to Radagast. Radagast left the true path. He failed them. He was meant to be defeating Sauron. He instead decided to protect nature at all costs. I had a path? Yes. So pretty much I could fight evil or I could protect the trees. He decided to protect the trees. He abandoned them. In fairness to Radagast. Now, now I know he cops a lot of crap, Mm -hmm. but they said that, like, defeat Sauron and Middle-earth and that sort of stuff. They didn't specifically say you have to get help out the people. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just the message was not clear enough. He took it literally, Mm -hmm. and he decided that he would protect the trees. Yes. 
Though the point that has been raised is since Yavana, the Valar of Trees, went to such effort to ensure that he was sent on the mission, it's entirely possible that he was working from a different agenda all along. So anyway, that's Radagast down. There's Gandalf, there's two blue wizards. Tolkien is deliberately vague about what happened to the two blue wizards. He says in a couple of his letters that he does not know what happens to them. He thinks they did all right, but he can't be sure. One of the theories is that Saruman actually like, killed them. Mm-hmm. However, he would have had to have gone evil for that to happen, or they would have had to have gone evil, mm. which is the point. Because he says, of the five, only Gandalf remained true, only Gandalf returned to the West. So the others, yeah. Radagast, we don't really know what happened to him. We assume that he just stayed in Middle-earth and tended his trees because he didn't show up during the he war. He ended up being that, you know, that bum that sits down at the corner of the bus stop and yeah. you see him every morning, you know. Yeah. According to C.S. Lewis... Up and save Middle-earth, damn yeah. it. According to C.S. Lewis, he shows up in that hideous strength, but never mind. That's an entirely different book series. <laughs> but anyway, so he's just hanging around. Saruman, we know, was slain and they rejected his spirit. They said, you have failed us for the last time. You're banished from this isle. Banished. But yes, yeah, so the two blue wizards, either... They fell from the true course and then died, and so were refused entry back into back into the far west. Or they survived but elected to stay, which, again, they left their true course and got distracted by local things. So, Saruman returns after whatever happens. He finds that Gandalf is still being useless. He finds that Radagast is even more useless than he thought he was. And he's got a problem. He needs to rally something that can fight Sauron. Clearly, the wizards are useless. He decides to build an army of Urukai, except then there's these Rohan get in the way, and the whole thing falls apart around him. In fairness, Urukai from the game, I know that they are a pretty damn solid choice in the yes. army. If I'm going to get an army to take on Sauron, Urukai or Mirkwood Spiders. Yes, think about it. You could try and rally, you know, the Shire and the last remnants of Gondor to defeat Mordor, or, like every single other person in the entire history of Middle-earth, you can pretend to join them and then stab them in the back. Like, Sauron's pulled it off twice. Morgoth pulled it off once, once and a half. It's the go-to tactic all through the history of Middle-earth. Join them, then stab them in the back. Yeah, Sauron so, joined the Numenorians. Which yeah. is kind of fitting because Saruman died from being stabbed in the back. Yes. Yep. Like, yep. it's the go-to tactic, and he tried it. Except, yeah, he turned he out... He sucked at it. Yeah. Didn't quite work, because Gandalf got in the way. Yeah, and Gandalf was, was not as useless as we thought he was. But this is the point of interest. Everyone talks about how great Gandalf's internal fortitude was because he stayed true to the path over the thousands of years when all el- when all others failed. But remember, he got slipped one of the three elven rings. The three elven rings are designed to resist the changing of time. They are designed to keep back the forces of entropy. He did not stray from the path because he was magically compelled not to. He could not fail because the magic would not let him fail. That is why Gandalf stayed true, because he had this magic ring that would not so let him waver. So basically what you're saying is the reason why Middle-earth wasn't, you know, set into flames and, you know, destroyed by Sauron was because Kedan gave Gandalf a ring. Yes. So basically what we're saying is Kedan saved Middle-earth. Pretty much, because remember, the whole point of turning them into Itzare was they would grow weary. They would The cares of the world would weigh upon them. No one can hold the cares of the world for several thousand years unless you slip them a little magical support, mm. which stops them from leaving the path. Nice work, David. Tied it all together. So we love the Istari. Matt especially loves... Like, everyone loves running with... Everyone loves that it's about great Middle fun. It's, Oh, yeah. It's, it's such a, a Middle-earth thing, and, and I know that mm-hmm. wizards are in every fantasy thing, but, but Tolkien has such, such impressive wizards, and the, the Gandalf mm-hmm. wizard is just... 
and become a fantasy more than staple. just their fancy magic tricks. Yeah, and mm. in the game, these are fantastic models, and I love that the fact that they they are so powerful, but mm. also so subtle at the same time. They're they're mm. not they're not just beat sticks go in. They're not gonna like they do do sorceress blast, but they're not gonna take out a whole army on their own. They support, they help you out, they do all kinds of stuff, and they're not on impossible to beat in their element. But if mm-hmm. you get them outside their element, you throw a couple of barrogs against them, they're yep. truly stuffed. Mm-hmm. I got one question for you, Yes. Dave. One question. There's a big theory Yes. that Gandalf should have taken the eagles yes. and just flown over to Mordor, just casually dropped a ring in. At in which the... point is he supposed to have got the eagles? Well, that's the thing. That, that's what I want you to clear up because for folks at home. Here's the one from reading the books. The only person who we see who can reliably get a message to the eagles is Radagast who, as we've just heard, is downright unreliable. Mm. So during the Council of Alrond, they said, we must set out with all haste. This is vital. We've got a narrow window of opportunity where we've unhorsed the nine. They'll have to go all the way back to Mordor to gain more strength. We need to move now. So this then, is where like, they, they spend in, another month. In typical after. Elvish fashion, they sit around for a month when they send out scouts to take a look at the lie of the land and report back. Yep. Now, we know that Aladdin and Alwahir are entrusted with a secret mission took them to the borders of Fangorn, which is where Radagast used to live. Mm-hmm. wasn't home. They come back and said we couldn't find him. Now, if Radagast was there, it's possible that he would have had a way to contact some eagles, but he wasn't. So yeah, He's got the eagle phone. No eagles. So then they had a new problem. They're like, we're going to have to go on foot, which is what makes me think they didn't intend to go on foot because when the fellowship departed, Elrond said, I will send out messengers who will tell people you're on the way and they will help you, but I'm sending them out now which means you'll probably get there at the same time as my messages will because, you know, you're heading out and they're heading out from the same place. Now, his scouts had gone through all these lands earlier. Surely his scouts would have told people they were coming if they had intended to be on foot. Though he is an elf, so it's entirely possible he just plain forgot. But Yeah. So, we believe they did want eagles, they just couldn't find any. Yeah, and the eagles sort of turn up when they feel like turning up, yes. usually when everything's just they gone. They had a gua here come and pick Gandalf up from Orthanc. That was an interest. Radagast helped out, didn't Yes, he? that was the time Gandalf asked Radagast, send messengers to all your birds to report to me and to Saruman. I'll be at Orthanc, just send messages to Orthanc. So Radagast told Gwahir. Gwahir came by with the news that, you know, orcs are multiplying and there's yeah. dark forces at work. So he rocks up at Orthanc and he's like, I've got a message. Dark forces are at work. And Gandalf's like, I know, and just get me Gandalf, out of here. Why are you chained up to the top without any clothes? <laughs> yeah. Also, that it was should, a wild weekend. <laughs> it should be noted that the eagles are fairly independent. You don't call them, they call you. If they help, it's because they want to help. If they don't want to help, they don't help. In The Hobbit, they ask, can you take us all the way to the Lonely Mountain? Can you take us all the way, say, to Lake no, Town? They no. said, they, they refused. They said, we will not go near the Men of Tail. Why? Because they shoot at us with their great bows because they think they're trying, we're trying to steal their sheep. And, and normally they're right. But... <laughs> You know what? One of the things I actually don't get from yes. Peter Jackson's vision: Why did the eagles never talk? Because they clearly talked in in the books. He he, like the wargs didn't really talk in the Hobbit yeah. either. Like he, it's yeah. funny. He he added so many fantastic things to it, but then, like mm-hmm. the spiders talked a bit, didn't they? When he put the ring on, uh, yes. yeah, when yeah, he had Bilbo the understood on. them when he had the ring yeah, on. Yeah, but, but there wasn't the other things that talked, and yeah, I, I, like the talking purses. I, I don't yeah. understand that because in in a fantasy setting like that, when there's yeah. so much other crazy stuff going on, why can't Things like that talk like, or you or you do mm-hmm. like the um like the Star Wars thing where where some people understand Wookie and others yeah. don't, yes. and you, just <laughs> the Eagles oh. talk Wookie. Yes, I know we're sidetracking here, but mm-hmm. man, Chewie had the best lines in that movie. 
and he actually got to use lines. his crossbow. Finally. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, hey, hey, spoilers. <laughs> okay, he has a crossbow. He actually got to use it. Check. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, got, I got one last yep. interjection, mm-hmm. mostly from that previous scene that about Jamie eagles? just said. No, or no, about, about the Jackson adding things. Okay, yep. What do you think that they were trying to hint at the fact that, yes, we know they could have taken the eagles when Gandalf said at the very end of Fellowship, fly you fools? Was that no, supposed to be no, hint? I don't I think so. For, for just run. Like, I think that's a language thing. Like, Point like, of interest. There was another point where they almost picked up the eagles because Gandalf was laying dead on top of the thing for like... I'd have to check. But he was up there for like 20 days, both dead and after he'd been reincarnated and was just lying there injured going, well, this is great. They could have at least healed me when they sent me back. But Guahir came and picked him up because Guahir had met with Galadriel. Galadriel had passed on the message that Gandalf was dead. However, we think it wouldn't have taken them 20 days to find them if Galadriel had a way of actually contacting Guahir. So we assume that it was Guahir's choice to contact Galadriel. So she eventually gets the message to Guahir. Guahir picks up Gandalf, takes him back. Gandalf gets healed in Lothlorien and is like, I must hunt down the Fellowship. So he takes off on his eagle and goes after them. He actually arrived during that whole mess on Amon Hen when... Frodo got onto the seeing seat and was having his mental duel with Sauron with, you know, rushing eyes flying through the air and, you know, good cinematic stuff happening. Frodo jumped off the seeing seat and the eye of Sauron, he felt the presence miss the hill as if it had been directed by something. That was Gandalf sort of nudging Sauron's attention aside. However, it drained all his power and he was out of it for the next couple of days. So by that time, the fellowship had split up and his eagle had flown off and, you know... Just generally, he was like, ah, oh, we missed a chance because Frodo went and activated the seat of power. From my perspective, that whole thing, that's a fan theory. The fly you mm. fools means go get some eagles. No, if he wanted them to take some eagles, he would have said, guys, before I die, take some eagles. Yeah, take yeah. some eagles to Mordor, Instead please. And they wouldn't fools, have... Save you some time. And they wouldn't have gone through the mines of Moria. They would have sit yeah. there waving signal flags and exactly. lighting bonfires. Exactly. Why, you fools, but get the eagles. Exactly. The, the thing about... and, and the thing could about have just fan yelled, theories, eagles! <laughs> the thing about fan theories is they're exactly as legitimate as you want them to oh. be because no one can say, hey, no, you're wrong. Have you read the fan okay, theory? They're wrong. Yeah, no, you no, can no, say no. they're wrong, sorry. Uh, I did. And, and you can believe they're as legitimate as you want them to be, and I believe that is a completely illegitimate yeah. fan no, theory that makes absolutely no oh. sense. Another word, for, like, just have you? really fast. Yeah. Matt, have yep. you read the one about Bombadil is actually the Witch King? Yeah. I have not heard that one, and it sounds as crazy the as... The main point is that they're never in the same spot at the same time. Right. Yes. Oh, wow. There's clearly, okay. there's clearly yep. only one person being both of them. Foolproof. Yep. yep. So the idea is he got tired of being evil, so when he gets tired of being evil, he just camps out in the middle of the old forest and just goes mad. Like because, Someone wrote an actual, like, like a thesis on it. <laughs> I only know of one good fan theory, and that's that uh, Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord. And it makes total sense if you actually. I heard the Jar Jar Binks was Tom Bombadil. That's a great one too. They're both are about as interesting as characters. I've never what seen them in the same Tom place Bombadil? together. Just out of curiosity, Bombadil I've never is seen those two characters together. Pretty much, he's one of the unaligned Maya. He's just not. He doesn't care. He's just got his house, and that's it. He's a force of nature, basically. But he does have one interesting scene, which raises questions about the Barrowites, because they raid a Barrowite mound, and he banishes the wraith by just telling it to go away. Right. He banishes the right by telling it to what? go away. What? And he picks up, a, he's looking through the through the spoil and he finds this jewel and he stares at it for a while and he says, it was a beautiful lady who wore this sort of thing, but, you know, it'll go to Goldbury now. And it raises the question, did he know the right when it was still alive? White. Did he know the white when it was still alive? Because he could banish these guys anytime he wants. He warns the hobbits, there's great evil on my land sort of thing, but he hasn't banished it. 
Is it because he has sentimental attachment to the people who they used to be before they arose from the dead when evil spirits took the land? Tom Bombadil was actually, I, I believe it was one of his, like, Christopher Talking toys. Uh-huh. And he wrote Initially. some stories about it. And, like, they had the whole adventure of Tom Bombadil, which some of them sort of tie into Lord of the Rings, the ones where he goes banishing Barrow Whites. But there's also some where he's, like, dancing with badges and stuff like that. Like, it's just mm-hmm. crazy stuff. I like the one where he visits Hobbiton and the um, Bywater Bounders catch him on his way in. They shoot his hat full of arrows because it's more than their job's worth to allow creatures from the old forest into Hobbiton. You know, like, it can't be done. It's, like... We're paid to ensure it does not happen. But they also know it's Tom Bombadil, so he's no threat. So they have to shoot arrows at him because it's their job, but they don't want to hurt him. So they just fill his hat full of arrows whenever he comes in. Mm, I, I have my own thoughts on disproves on the theory that you can't hit him with arrows. Yeah. Because my question about that is, because Gandalf's a Maya yes. and Bombadil's a Maya, yes. but Bombadil puts on the one ring and is like, meh. I reckon yeah, Bombadil's more than a Maya. Bombadil's a Maya? No. no. Um, he's one of the spirits... None of the Valar are missing, therefore he is Maya. Mm. Maya I, is I a term that means spirit. So the Balrog okay. are Maya. I, I'd like to put forward my own yes. theory on Put Bombadil forward your theory, Matt. And exactly what yes. he represents. I think he represents the things that simply cannot be explained within Middle-earth. I think but that is what he is Considering we have Maya that are in charge of waves and we have Maya in charge of yeah, the no, sun, a- why can't we have one in charge of things that are just random? And why can't we have one in charge of nothing? Precisely, that's him. He's he's yeah. unaligned. He's uh, just I'm, what there. I'm saying there is also that that doesn't mean that he is a Meyer. It just means that he's a thing that is never fully explained. Yeah, perhaps has nothing to do with anything really at all, mm-hmm. but exists within that universe and perhaps informs that universe in what can and cannot happen. Because it could that? be like a spirit of Middle Earth instead of like the Valor and the Meyer over across the sea. So he could be Not something all that's native. Them. No, but he could be. He could mm-hmm. be something totally different. Like we don't actually know what it is. It never says he's a Maya. You're just making that assumption that, because the Maya is the generic like, term, though, for spirit. Yeah, but but, but it's, it's also a very specific it's, thing. It's, no, it's not because the Balrog, they're Maya. Yeah, the, yeah. The I, sun I is a Maya. <laughs> yeah, look, I I agree with that. But Maya is just a word for a lesser creation of Eru, mm-hmm. right? That so has its own. Yes. What we're saying is Bombadil might not be a creation of Eru. Exactly. My That's thinking it. that he's similar is Gandalf's comment at the end of The Return of the King when he, when he's like, Bombadil is, you know, a moss gatherer, but I have been a stone doomed to roll. But my rolling days are over. I shall go chat with him and learn how to handle retirement. Makes me, it makes me think that they have common cause in their background. Sort of thing. Oh, I think he's encountered them before and got to know him, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't... Yeah, mm-hmm. we just don't know. I, I don't think we're going to know. And, and this comes down to the arguing different fan theories. But yes. It does, in a way, yes, yeah. because it's what you decide that you want Tom Bombadil, Bombadil to be. Bombadil was... If you want him to be a Maya, that's cool. That that makes uh-huh. sense uh, in, in that way, and you can decide that that's how it best fits into your idea of what the universe is. And from my perspective, he is sort of a uncontrollable force of chaos in some ways, of purity in other ways, of just the spirit of nothing, really, that, and that's how I interpret mm-hmm. him, and you can interpret him. It how is you like. another thing that Tolkien left deliberately vague, because yeah. he got asked about him and he refused to answer. He said, "No, this is deliberately vague." I'm pretty sure it was just a cameo of his kid's toy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. So that's our wizard law mm. with added bombadil. Thank you, Radagast, for starring in that wizard law. Me.
All right, so Kylie has come up with this idea where we're going to throw some shout-outs out to some people who've messaged us and let you know where they are and where you can find them for a game. So we've got a few messages come in, and Kylie's just going to go through them and let you know what we've got. By finding yeah. someone for a game, are we talking, I'll be, you know, in the dark suit with the red flower, the password is, you know... We'll work that out as we go along. Where yeah. is Gandalf? All that underhanded shenanigans, exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's... I'm really not sure how to pronounce this one. I'm going to have to get you to, you to pronounce this one. I think no. it's Darv Darms. Is that Darms. who you're, Yes, yeah. Darv Darms. And he's from Seattle in the Washington State area of the U.S. And he's got two players in the moment and looking for more. So if you're in the area, contact us. We'll contact him and we'll see if we can... Our people will talk to your people. That's it. We'll We'll put your people in contact with his people. We'll work something out. We'll make some motions, make some waves. We'll we'll get people connected. That's what we'll do. So the next one's from Jeremy Entwistle and he's in Yarraville. Now, Jeremy, we're going to have to have some words next time we meet up. We know Jeremy. We don't know why he uh, he answered. Wasn't this, he at that tournament last weekend? He definitely was, and he definitely yeah. has a lot of players in his area, and he definitely complains all the time that he doesn't get a game. Despite but the fact that we meet up once a month at KJ's in Footscray. For I believe what he's saying is you can never have too many games. You can never have too many people to play against. Yeah, fair point. And and Jeremy needs to find a win somewhere. There's got to be someone out there who he can beat. So hopefully we can find that person and they can uh, message us. And uh, then again, it's likely that you'll be able to beat Jeremy. So just message us. You'll, you'll find an easy win. Yep. And the last one's from Mark Bolger. He's from the US in Texas. So if anyone's from Texas who's looking for a game of Rings or Hobbit, uh, yeah, there's Mark. So. Yeah, so message us in if you are, well, I we know Texas is a very large area. Did it, Was it more specific there? No, just Texas. No, just Texas? All right, well, if you're anywhere in Texas, there's a small chance I've had a chat to Mark over Facebook. I think he'd be willing to travel within Texas. Fair enough. Wow, okay, okay. Or if anyone's going on a holiday through Texas. Yeah. So, yep. so yeah, what we're trying to get here is just a bit more connectivity between. We're building a global network of, I don't know, agents. I think Agent. I think we also got a message from Norway. Yes. Was that right? So if you do live in Norway, they're trying to uh, build a, an interconnected sort of group there. Uh, I think we have a specific thing, a, a specific name for that group. We'll just try and there find is, it. There is, but I'm on my phone, so I can't, I can't check messages from the Green Dragon. I don't have the, the Facebook app for that. Which is kind of weird that Facebook would have an app. So if you have your own page, you have to have another app to be able to manage the page. You can't just manage it from Facebook. That's okay. It's really weird. We'll contact, on a computer, you can. We'll contact one of our team of highly professional tech experts who we shall unleash upon this problem. So Matt, did you I'm figure it out? It. I'm working on it. Keep stalling. Matt is making contact with our team of highly experienced tech uh, people. Baron Ol Wilhelm, I think is how that is pronounced. I'm sorry if we ever... You know what? Disclaimer. Right now, if any of us ever pronounce anything wrong, we apologize, but it's also not our fault because we're all very... And it's most likely David that did it. That's why I bring Matt true. with me. He, he, Matt is our, you know, pronunciation connoisseur. I, I do my best. So Baron says, Hi, from across the globe, if any Norwegians are interested in meeting SPG players, search for the group The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit Strategy Battle Game Norway on Facebook. They're, a, uh, they're working on growing as a community, and they have also have their own gaming club. Okay, here we go. Everyone ready for this? I'm going to give it my best shot. Spilforeningen, the fellowship. I really hope that's right. 
Okay, thanks, Baron, for messaging us, and hopefully you get a few people searching for that group. Thank you, Baron. All right, now let's move on to the... What is it? We're the not... highlight of these episodes, I think, in my personal opinion. You mean the ant moot. Yes. I'm so glad you did that, because the feedback want. I've got from this is that's the whole reason people do it. They love us talking slowly like Trivians. Okay. <laughs> So, we're going to tear through these questions. We're going to uh, get some good answers going. Our first question comes to us from Daniel Jones. He asks, when preparing a list for Masters, Kylie, in Melbourne, what do you think is the most important factor? Oh, me, 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 yes. me, 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 oh, me, me. Make it as pretty as possible. I want, I want something that you can take and be proud of because... For me, Masters is all about showcasing the best models on the best terrain. You play the best players, you play the best scenarios, but for me, it's all about the best models on the best terrain. So take something that you think you can make look amazing, because I want this Masters, I want this Masters to be the most competitive. I want Kylie to have to give out like seven best armies. I want I want the, the models to be just so fantastic that you look at everyone and go, oh my God, who do I give a vote for? Take something as good as you possibly can. Elaborate basing, insane colors, let's have the whole lot. Freehand. Pure sculpting, oh, amazing. Also, something you can get behind, you can get excited about. If you don't have a Knight of the White Tower, get one sort of thing. Because you don't want a dull game because you've taken Avoidance Rohan and you really don't like Avoidance. You want to get stuck in, then take an army that gets stuck play in. Play a force you believe in. If, yes. you, if, if you take an orcs, play like an orc. Throw things forward in domination like a crazy person. Like, mm-hmm. like get really into it. Yes. Believe! As Jeremy was saying... All of those things, Daniel, pretty much all of those, you want something that you're going to be able to take to the tournament and enjoy playing with. And saying that as well, you want versatility for your army. You want a really good stick for your for the design of your army. You want something that goes, this is my army and no one else's. And you want some flexibility because in Masters, you're going to be asked to do a lot of different things in the scenarios. So you need to be able to do a bunch of things. So if, if, if you're talking about list creating, like having a mixture of infantry, cavalry, and monsters is a good place to start. Maybe having some magic in there if you're missing out on those. I would have at least two things my army can do and just have some flexibility. Maybe my army can move really fast and hit really hard. Maybe my army can move really fast and shoot really well. Maybe my army can shoot really well and can disrupt and knock people over. Something, something you can do. From memory, most of the master scenarios have a fair bit of movement in them, so you're going to have to control the move phase. Whether you do that by having more movement, by having more shooting, by having more magic, or being so terrifying in combat that no one will come near you, you need to have something that can, you know, dominate the move phase for you. Make your army have an identity and play to that identity as well. But by the same point, when you make your army, because painting and the hobby relation part of that is so important as well with, like, being, like, what, 30 or score, you want to make your army look unique. Have some sort of a stick. I've seen... Merchant guard with gold littered on their bases, and that was a really good stick. I've yeah. seen goblins that worship the Balrog with fire brands for weapons and stuff. You Smaug want with gold littered on his base. Yes, blue hurrah, gold rimmed decent links. Have something that is yours. Have and yeah, yeah. yeah I can't make your masters. army stand out. I'm excited about masters. I've got mm-hmm. some really cool plans for masters. I can't. I look. I, I can't. I like masters because the scenario. I think the scenarios are fantastic, and I normally don't like tournament scenarios. I make so much fun of the tournament scenarios, like every opportunity. But the masters uh, scenario dominations not bad. Yeah, six dominations, please. Someone write. Someone do a scenario. A tournament with six dominations. I'll be happy. But the masters scenarios are interesting because you have to do so many things and you can't do them all. Like it's so rare to get a thirty nil. It's just 
just I've had one in yeah. the two years I ran it, and the fifty odd players I've had over the course of those yeah, two years. Yeah, it's hard to do. I have seen like, it done I mean, no, once. A thirty nil. Thirty nil. I have only. One. Sorry, two. Elaborate. How how did I've, you? I've this had momentous one occasion, and I've had one against me, and I know Jeremy's had one as well. Yeah, so there's been a few. There, oh, you're not factoring rare. in penalties, are you? I don't know. Am I? Maybe not. Anyway, anyway, let's go. What's the next question? Uh, what's the next question? Never mind. Thank you, Daniel. Okay, Daniel also asks... Oh, thank you, Daniel. He's looking at painting his Scorpion, which is a proxy for Shelob, I believe, for a Harrod army. He wants to know, how do you paint large areas of black but still make the model stand out? Daniel. I knew this was going to happen Scorpion the moment I heard... Scorpion proxy for Shelob. My goodness. My goodness. My goodness. Okay, okay, look, I'll get over it that. It is Masters, so at metagaming is... At least it's not a horseshoe crab, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, my <laughs> I love it. I love it how people manage to th- like. Daniel, well, we had a swan last year, didn't we? Yeah. We did have a swan Actually, last no, year. That was pretty cool. No, but it's it's like the shoehorning. Let's take this really powerful model. Uh, and I'll shoehorn it. Problem in my is that Justin it's used the I think if you put well. enough effort in, it's worth it. Mm, anyway, I, I'm I'm a bit on my own. You're I'm reserving okay. judgment until you see the scorpion shield up in the flesh. Look, look, look. Depends th- how well they paint aside. the black. Let's go ahead with the question. Like we assume that Daniel's going to do it. Um, what was the question about painting? Because I'm large areas of black. How do you uh, how do you go about painting that? How do you go about painting them okay. to still make it stand out? So yeah. what I what I recommend doing, Daniel, is getting a nice off black that you can use as your base color. So for a scorpion, if you're going for a desert theme, I would take black. I would mix in a brown and maybe a gray as well. So mix all that together to get an off black. Paint your whole model that off black color. Then what you do is you highlight through something that's that's got the like the browns in it. So I like this, like a khaki color or a, it's a, like a really neutral beige color in the range. I can't remember what it's called. I think it might be something about dust or... Not um, Rakar Flesh? No, no. Right? It's, it's, it's actually a yellowy one, but it's, okay. it's a neutral one. And I would highlight up with that. So mix that into your paints and go up with through that and then go down through black. So you're painting just the shadows in black. So it's real art to make sure that you don't go too far off that base color but you've got to highlight it all as normal. Now, what you can also do is hit it with like a glaze at the end, which is where you mix. Well, you don't have to mix, but you can mix a paint with Lamian Medium or another medium to thin it right out and go over the whole model. And then you can hit it with a, a black if you want there. But what I would recommend doing is actually consider hitting just the bottoms of your model with a, a glaze of like Lamian Medium mixed with a desert brown. So what you do is you take the, the desert brownie yellow color, mix it with the lamy medium, and just sort of put it underneath the model like it's been dirty. And it'd be, people won't notice it straight away, but it will just look right. And I've done this technique on my most recent Golgoth Beast where I've actually mixed a lot of browns into the gray skin, and I think it really makes it pop because it's just some subtle touch that you can do in there. So that's my recommendation for large areas of black. Okay. That as well. I think also breaking up the black with some really bright poppy colors because a lot of things, a lot of snakes and a lot of scorpions have really bright reds, yellows to warm predators away from them. But I also think you've got to be somewhat subtle about it. Yeah, it looks not really a lot. Unnatural. Like really mm-hmm. thin, interesting yeah. designs. And mix it. Like like actually take the edge off your colors. So if you're going a red, mix it with a little bit of brown. So it's yeah. not a purely bright cartoony red or like a an orange or something like that. I would definitely have a look. Just do a quick Google search of scorpions and snakes and see what see what colours um, they usually come I in. Think, w- I think Daniel's in Queensland. Just go out your front yeah. yard or whatever and just look <laughs> at the snakes. Yeah. Point to raise. I, I don't know. 
how skilled Daniel is at painting. So Jeremy's offered expert advice. I shall offer some intermediate Daniel advice. Daniel can hold his own. He's just in solid. case he's not at Jeremy's level. No, nah, Daniel's solid. Um, my brother says, I can't paint black. That is true. I just paint it good dark gray or dark brown or just black, pure black is hard to do, I find. So you paint it a gray which gets down to your real dark but comes up to your higher white, even up as far as white because you want the strong highlight. If it's not dark enough, apply really thin black wash. Just lowers the whole tone slightly, reapply your highlight. Still not dark enough. Reapply the black wash really thin so you don't get too much pooling. Reapply your highlight. Yeah, yeah I think that's, solid. that's really good advice. If, if you find you're struggling to get a good effect, that's, you know, that's going to work. That works as well. Yeah, absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Not quite as, you know, um, impressive, but it's easier to do. Yes. The main thing is, is that the majority of black is not black. You mm-hmm. only use the absolute depth because you still have to shade it. Otherwise, like if you take away the shade, it's like painting white. If you take away the highlight, it doesn't look right. In the blacks, if you take away the shade, it doesn't look right. So you need to be an off black. And if you get the off back by black by painting gray and then washing it down to black, that's fine. If you do it by mixing it ahead of time, that's fine as well. Okay, so our next question comes from Andrew Coleman, and he asks, do you think the game has a competitive meta? That's the word of the day. Meta. Should we summon our person who speaks meta? <laughs> what is meta, first of all? That you know, that's the, the question, current trend, it? pretty it's, much. It's kind of like moves and counter moves. What what people take in terms of lists to so counteract other. The lists. Knight of the White Tower counteracts most things. Oh yeah. So yeah. he is so the meta. He's top of the meta. Yep. Yeah. He 100%. also he, he goes on to ask why why not, but he yeah. also asks, would you rather fight a hundred pygmy man form well, beyond? No no no. Let's oh. answer the question let's first. Let's all right all right all right. We don't need two fine. questions. That's that's too complex. Yeah, yeah. I forgot the question. <laughs> The question was, do we have a meta? Uh, is there a meta? Why, why not? Can I go what first What do you here? think's in it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go. All right. I've had this debate with a lot of people a lot of times. Name them. TNN, Matt, pretty much anyone. Okay, I don't trust community. either of those people. Hey, go on. Hey, I know lots about meta. I'm of the opinion, no, because the way our game plays and the way our community has gotten to now, it changes too fast for there actually to be a standing meta. In other games like, League of Legends and stuff like that. The meta is very blocked out, so you know when it's going to change. But because things have changed so rapidly in our community and because people try new things so often, it changes too rapidly for there to be a standing anything. Like, there was this whole idea of a courage meta for a while, but that panned off really quick once people worked out how to play around it. and Once people painted their warhorns. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Converted yeah. first. <laughs> but I think because things change too much, I think you can't look at what everyone else is taking. I think you need to look at what you're taking and look at how you're playing your army, not what everyone else is playing. I think in small groups, you're going to get some things that work better than others because people will find something that they like. They have a small collection of models. It works for them and they play it over and over again. So their idea is that that's the meta. And I think we're getting a lot of that very sort of the, the big fish in small pond syndrome. When you start playing with lots of people and lots of it, we actually find that you don't get a whole bunch of models out of it once. We, we get models very rarely. So we don't get, like so some of these other games, they'll get a new book or a new set of rules or whatever a new patch, and suddenly it's totally changed. There's something new and powerful, and it just dominates everything until people can work out how to beat it. We don't tend to get that. So what we're doing is players themselves are trying something different, and it it might work. It might throw people off. We might get a tournament that almost everyone's playing Mounted Rohan, who are effective. And that's just because, coincidentally, everyone decided they wanted to paint their Mounted Rohan, or someone painted some really nice ones, and they all got inspired by it, or someone talked about it on a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever, 
and then that will happen. And then the next time, oftentimes you get the opposite where people went, well, everyone played Rohan last time. I don't want to play Rohan. I want to be something different. And occasionally you get it so everyone decides to play Urukai. But other times you get where people play a million different things or people try and copy the person who won last time. So you just get this, basically, it's it's a random assortment of, of models that sometimes look like a meta but aren't really. Which, the word meta. which tournament was it where over half the armies were full mounted just because everyone went, what hasn't been done recently? It might have been a minimize. Was it I a minimize? I don't think it was a minimize. Um, no, because it was there was one where it was a Radagast on Slate, and it cleaned up. Oh, it was there Henry's was just so many full mounted battle hardened. It was the yeah. first battle hardened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you you get those swings, and sometimes you get lots of monster heavy ones or courage heavy armies. And I think just to add another thought, I just have then as well. I think as well, Andrew, that thing with matter is it's it's trends that other people are setting, and they're setting constantly. You generally don't get as of like formed up meta if you're taking a lot of variety in your armies and being able to deal with different things. So an army that covers all of its bases isn't generally going to be thrown off by off the wall wacky stuff. And that's where the meta comes from. Like I remember when Woes were a thing for a while, even when Terra was a thing, eventually a standard army is going to be able to check it well enough to be able to play around their own strengths to beat it. And I think that's what you need to look at when you're thinking about meta and everything else that comes with it. It's not what your opponent's doing and what every other opponent in the tournament's doing. It's what you're doing, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. I think there's too much variety in what everybody else is taking for meta to settle down because I cannot actually think of a list that will defeat every army that I saw at the last tournament because there was too much variety there. So whatever I'm going to build, there's going to be a risk. So I'm going to try and cover as many bases as possible. I'm going to try and include as much different versatility as I can, which kind of isn't the point of a meta. David's hit the nail on the head. To to put this in perspective for a, a game that has a very, very uh, solid meta game that is has, has no wiggle room, uh, competitive Pokemon, BGC, there are 721 different Pokemon. There's competitive Pokemon? You're yes, joking, right? that that it, game where huge. you go and like abuse animals oh, and get to friend, fight each other. You have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I clearly have no but idea. Look, one fifty is... seen, one fifty owned. I stopped oh, there. Yikes, no. Okay. Well, there's only one fifty, wasn't there? Gen one. One fifty one. Thank you. Muse a thing. Anywho, that was a bug. It is the Actually, most I had gold, but never mind. VGC <laughs> as a format is the most heavy metagame I've ever seen. There are seven hundred and twenty-one Pokemon in existence. I think in the finals, in, in the last 12 teams, there was maybe 15 used, 15 different ones. Each team has six Pokemon, so that's around 72, and only 15 different ones were used out of 721. That is a metagame. I have been told. Well, that is an intense You get your metagame. three legendary birds, you get Mewtwo, yeah, okay. you get your starter, uh, Come on, We've definitely other. gone way off topic here, because I'm, <laughs> I'm being serious about this. This is a Lord of the Rings podcast. Enough. Okay, Enough. so... Okay, you get your three legendary eagles. That is like... Going to a Lord of the Rings tournament and having just Gondor and Mordor, and that's it. In terms of no, the amount I would, of variety I would go available. one. Just I would pick go the two words. armies with the most variety. I would go one worse. I would say all, right. all mounted Rohan with a Saruman versus an all Moran and Orc wall with a Shade and a Felbeast. And it. that's all you've got at the tournament. Yeah. That's two the things. only two armies yep. you've got at a tournament. Yep. So I think the great thing, personally, for me being in this scene in Melbourne, is that we have two players here who coincidentally are sitting at this table, who are head and shoulders above the rest of the competition and who constantly change their armies. And they've made it, They've des- over the last 
at least five years have been changing it up so often that nobody has been able to settle into a meta. It's just, it's been impossible. You can't do it. People tried with the shade. They tried. People tried with the courage oh, walls. And they People failed. spanned the shades. <laughs> and no, they shot the crap out of they them. They got so good at beating shades that no, everyone was afraid to bring them. Yeah. Because they were just sick. so easily And defeated. there is a shade question coming up later. So mm. don't worry. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal we'll with that. We'll discuss that further. Yeah. Anywho, uh, on which a is lo- funny because the reason we did that is because like I I painted up for scenarios and Kylie was my main scenario partner, so we would just decide what are we going to paint for next scenario. Yeah. Let's just go make a list for that, and we didn't care if it was competitive or not, and we pretty much found that everything was everything worked. Remember, I think the biggest eye opener was the Gulliver when we were going through Terra of Arnor. Yeah, that was we thought rubbish. Gulliver was rubbish defense five, and then we went. Holy crap, fly, holy crap, strengths eight, holy crap, fight six. Yeah. And we had all these tricks. And I think that's when we started to realize, hang on, we can make anything in the game competitive if we want to make it competitive. If we just try hard enough. Yeah. And, yeah. and I sort of contrast that with uh, the way the Sydney scene developed at the same time. Now, they've caught up and possibly surpassed the Melbourne scene at the moment. But, uh, Remains to be seen at Clash. Oh. Yeah, well, exactly. We'll find out. <laughs> but for a while there, it was shades. Shades all the time. And that was, I'm not going to say the fault of, and we won't name anyone, but there Are were... Are you talking about Joe Baker? No, I'm not talking about Joe Baker. He's talking oh. about Jason. No, do we have to... Okay. Someone... Oh, no, Jason's a nice guy. Sure. He was convinced that there was one army that was able to beat all armies, and that was an accord with the shade. And unfortunately, he was good enough that he convinced everyone else because he kept winning. Uh, yeah, now, yeah. if you get a situation like that, you will end up with a meta and it will be a toxic meta because you're not going to have much fun because everyone's going to end up taking yeah. the same thing all the time. That's the problem with these is that people get sick of it then because if, you, yeah. if, you, if your events are the same at all times. Yeah. And this was my point with Pokemon. Everyone said it's the most boring thing ever now because everyone's taking all the same things. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. And that's why I'm so glad that when I got into this game here, that's, that was never the case. So that's fantastic. On to a lighter pe- topic, or perhaps even more in-depth discussion. Let's find oh, out. Or darker. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> it depends how. Andrew has a bonus question for us. He wants to know, would you rather fight 100 pygmy man-form beyonds or a single bear-form beyond? I'll leave it open to the table. Okay. So f- pygmy man-form beyond. So we're, we're talking about like actual the size of the models. Oh, that's a tough question. I would have said about one to two feet tall. Okay, that would have wow. been my, my we'll guess. Say one feet tall. Right. Yeah. Okay. One foot. No, uh, look, I'm I'm a massive fan of just fighting the, the bear. Like I know it's incredibly powerful, but what I've learned from Lord of the Rings strategy is you have one model, you can just run from it, and it it, it takes a time to get to there. A hundred pygmies, you ain't running from that. They're just and, gonna hold all the objectives. And like, look, I'm I'm a solid fighter. Like pygmies, I'm pretty sure I can take on pygmies. Like I've fought Matter yep. Fair three times, and I'm I'm all good at that. So. I, I think I can take on pygmies, but I think I'm going to cop, like, you know, the Aragorn versus a thousand goblins sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. setup where he goes in and he's killing goblins left, right, and center, and he's smiling. And then you roll the triple ones and the goblins take a few wounds off him and he starts swearing a bit. And then his might starts going down. He's just on the free might of turn and there's just endless pygmies coming out. I'm going, I'm fighting the bear. Okay. I'm fighting the bear and I'm relying on the bear player to roll like Tim does for Smelk. I have a question. Do these pygmies... Do they have the bow option? Oh, good question. Because, hey, sure, why not? I, know, I reckon they're going to have poison blowpipes. I'm, I'm pretty much sure you're, play, you're fighting Moses. Because <laughs> if they're allowed to shoot into combat, because, you know, they're pygmy beyond, then... Oh, but they're, oh, they're a good. good model. They're, they're good. good model. Okay, in that they case... Might, they might shoot their own pygmies. And they're himself, so why would he want to shoot himself? <laughs> okay, so... Ah, 
But the the bear still has that rule where it charges, you know, at somebody close. So you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than everybody else. So, yeah, we'll take the bear. Oh, no, no. I'm <laughs> taking the pygmies then. Nah. I'm, uh, he moves eight inches. I'm pretty sure I'm doing five at best. <laughs> yeah, but you just need someone with you that goes four. So Matt's running yeah, away from 100 pygmies. <laughs> how many inches do you guys do you think? How many do you think you're moving? <laughs> I, I think I'm the slowest here. So, uh, no, I'll take the pygmies. Kylie? Now, these sort hey, of questions... On, pick on someone my own size. Oh, there it is. <laughs> these questions are always a trick. They're a trap. You know, the answer it's to these... It's a trap. These questions all depends on the terrain you're fighting in. Okay, so what now, terrain are you fighting now, in? Now, I would hate... I would absolutely hate to fight a bear in an open field. So I would hate to fight the pygmies in an open field. But I would love to fight the pygmies in a single fight corridor. You're, what you want to yes. do is you want to fight... But if I'm fighting a bear in a single fight corridor, I'm screwed. No, uh, a model but can if I jump was fighting a, a bear in an open field, I could keep running away from it. A model can jump a gap up to twice its height, yes? All so you've got to find a gap that you can jump and the pygmies can't. You know that Harrod Ruin I've got there, and I found it's actually the best setup if you've got a little micro warband, like a captain and his mate, and you run into there and you can fall back up the stairs because it fits. And the bear doesn't fit up the stairs. One model. The bear doesn't fit in, and the pygmies you get to fight on. I would actually, I would take like a thrown rock or something like that, like a weapon, slingshot, whatever, and I'm going to fight them all in that ruin. So but I don't they care. have the I'm bow upgrade. No, too bad. Sorry, the bear form and the pygmies. I'm fighting them both. You're taking them all on. Because they can't get to me. Okay. Because I right. can only fight one at a time. So the pygmies are just going to get in the way and piss off the bear, and he's going to get bored. Or he's going he's to start eating the pygmies. Cause like, yeah, that, that's probably And you'll happen. lure them into fighting each other. That yeah, seems inevitable, the really. The pygmies can crawl up, and I'll take on one pygmy at a time like all day long. I, um, I reckon I've trained for this as well. Yep. Like I said, it's all on the terrain. Yep. So, so I'm, I'm going to Harrod. I'm climbing up a ruin. I'm getting my fisticuffs out. I'm getting my slingshot out. And I'm taking on Bayon and the Pygmy Bayons. All done. There you have it, Andrew. Both. This is very similar to the question about would you rather fight a Balrog or a thousand Pygmy Balrogs? Yeah. Can we skip over that one? I think I missed that one. What? It's pretty much the same question. I don't <laughs> know why. The Balrog go. has a flaming sword, but never mind. All right, okay. We have a new question here from Tim Schubert, who asks how you play an Entish army. Very slowly. Uh, Kylie, you feel this one, please. Okay, so the only way you're playing an Ent army is if you have Roses in your army, okay? Because you need the numbers to capture objectives and you need the Ents to smush things. You do what I like to call the shepherding strategy. And this is basically the theory behind this is keep the Roses away from harm, the Ents do all the work, and then everyone threatens with some shooting. It's weapons. a little bit more complicated than that, but it's I'll, bre- not, I'll break basic. it. I'll it's break it. I'll break it down into a couple of steps for you. Step one: put the ants in the front. Step two: put everything else in your army behind the ants. And don't be afraid to put step it three: back a bit. make sure everything else in your army stays behind the ants at all times. So it might yeah. mean that they shuffle around it. It might mean that the ants have to close ranks. It might mean the ants spread out. So you have to do some because you can you can with three ants, tree bin, two ants, you can take about eight inch space. And, and basically, you, you pivot, them. you pivot your warriors or whatever like light skirmishes you've got around those ants, and then you use barges and stuff to push things away, hurls, and then you use your thrown rocks to force them to come to you. Throw throwing weapons, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, it's a it's a synergy thing. The all monster armies, like just all monster armies, don't work particularly well. No. So you just got not, not enough flexibility. There's enough scenarios that you play where you actually need troops to just sit on an objective. Yeah. Whereas, like having having the ants push past an objective. So, like if it was run to the middle, you'd push them past the middle, 
and your Wozers would gather around the middle at some point. Now, your pushing parts in the middle might take the whole game because you might be shifting your flank, you might be barging, you might be throwing, you might be killing. But eventually, the aim is to get the Wozers on the middle and the ants pushing the enemy back. Just, just really. Yeah. Get and if off. if you wanna if you wanna run something like an ant like lots of them you need peel you need something to get the guys that are trapping the ants getting around the ant just to pull them off into other one on ones so that the ants can fight you know the real threats like your Aragons, Gothamogs, and Witch Kings one on one. All right, on to our next question, and we have one from Henry Henry Kerr, and he asks, "What are your personal favorite moments surrounding the hobby for you since you began?" And what is your first army and your first experience in the game? Oh, I'm going to field this first because I've, I've been... First army, first army. My actual first army was a Morathine from Shadow on the Flame. So I'd like to talk about this book at some point in the past. But I had a goblin army and a dwarf army, which I painted and had it as an army. And that was my first pure army. I had some scenario things. I had some ring wraiths and some, some fellowship models. But it was straight out of Shadow and Flame, old school metal dwarves old school goblins painted on a gray base, which I've repainted since, but they were basically gray base with bits of like chains and bits of wood. And this is a time when people didn't do basing. And the tournaments at this stage, you actually have to take a good and evil army. Like that was the standard. Those were the days. So you took, it was like a 400 point tournament. Or sometimes they said, you've got 800 points. Choose how you allocate. Yeah. So you could take 500 points of good or 300 and 300 points of evil, or you can mix them up how you liked. And what that meant was you could take like 412 points of one and, and like 300 and, and 88 of the other just to, to break it up. I've legit seen someone take 550 points of good and then Sauron. Yeah. As their evil army. That was it. Yeah, yeah, no. So some, some interesting things happened. Yeah. So that was before the minimum model count. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, basically you took a hero and as I many warriors It was because of this they yeah. introduced a minimum model count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you could game it. But I had that and I was so proud of that. And it was all non-metallic metal, which is my first like army because I'd already had some experience painting in, in like Warhammer Fantasy and 40K and that sort of stuff. So I came into Lord of the Rings. I made these models really nice. Nowhere near as good as I can paint now, but I was super proud of them. And my favorite experience playing was probably like the f- this first time I really built a scenario and I had a time of it. I built a board for basically the... Um, the Riders of Rohan went and stormed the camp. I can't remember what it's called. Amir's Rage or... No, oh, yeah, that. Wrath and of Rohan? Wrath or? of Rohan, that's the one. And I made this board and it was like a fully modeled tree board. It looked fantastic. It was head and shoulders above everything else. And it was just like, it gave me the confidence to make the boards and that. So in terms of gaming moments, just that first time. The scenario itself wasn't that great. The board itself I chopped up pretty much afterwards and made into trees. But just the fact that I, I had built this whole movie scene and put it together was just outstanding. Um, first real gaming thing of memory, like, I picked up battle games, brother had a f- picked up battle games, we had two friends, pretty much what we played was army matches, which was whatever you own, put it on the table, let's go. The terrain we built out of whatever we had around, like, we actually built it out of whatever we had, so I had a lampshade fortress, it was built out of a lampshade, a thing on top, my brother had a different lampshade, which looked like a volcano to build his evil lair out of. We got, like, timber blocks and piled them on the board to build No Man's Land. And then I went to an open day at a club, and there was Farmer Maggot's Fields. And it was painted, and it was colourful. And I said, I am playing this game. And you came at the start of the open day, and we were open for maybe, like, seven hours. Ah, And you and your brother played Farmer Maggot's Farm, like, the entire seven hours, just over and over again. We played 
a game on each side. We wandered around. We had a look at the rest of the open day. Went. I think Maggots Farm's the best thing here. Yep. Back to Maggots Farm. Back to Maggots Farm. <laughs> and they literally stay there the entire day playing Maggots Farm. Oh, that was. I think you played a couple of turns of Bywater as well. Yeah, but mainly Maggots Farm. <laughs> I still got that Maggots uh, Farm board. It is yeah. still fantastic. That was I love a good it. open day, actually. Uh, using the techniques I learnt from that Rohan board, actually. Mm-hmm. So, my favourite moment or my most defining moment, I think, was when me and Jeremy took our first, well, my first in-state trip to a tournament, and that was, I think, it was CanCon two thousand and nine. I'm going to take a random stab in the dark. I think I it was, was before that. But was anyway. It before that? Probably. 2011? No, 8. It was pretty early on in the gaming career, and that was a really big moment. I got sidetracked with Malifur. We played Space Hulk, chilling, and then we played these amazing games that I can still remember to this day. Yeah. It was the year that Malifaux actually got released, so that's yeah. how you could you could look back and see what it was. But yeah, we had some serious fun there. That was a really good, fun three-day weekend. My first ever army, and this is going to surprise a lot of people. Not me. Was Urukai. That was the first Tens army I ever thousands. really put together and played. It was back from the Big Me Battle Games in Middle Earth days when, I think it was like the second or third issue, you got a whole bunch of plastic Urukai, and that's where it started. And funnily enough, I haven't gone back to them in a very long time. I've remembered my probably defining gaming moment. It was back when, like, Kylie and Jeremy were, like, gaming giants in my eyes. Like, they had strategies. They had tactics. They had, you know, things other than just throwing dice and hoping. Models that weren't, like, lampshades or anything. (laughs) Hey, I liked my Volcano Fortress. It's actually you were making a Master's board that was pretty much the same design with your Volcano (laughs) lampshade, which we we managed to scrap. He added gym mats, though, so that was a change. (laughs) But no. But um, it was Storm the Camp. I was borrowing your Rohan Wos army. Oh, no. No, don't say this. The Rohan was... The advice was the Stanthas won't affect the Rohan, so make sure they die first. So I'm like, I've got to defend the camp. i got to send the Rohan in to die. So I did. I left the Woses behind. The Rohan went in to die. Jeremy, the whole game, is going, what are you doing? This is stupid. You'll get yourself slaughtered. He's going, They're going to take apart your army piecemeal. It's You can't possibly win. The Orcs went, the enemy is an idiot. I shall surround them and crush them piecemeal. Except I had one rider of Rohan on the flank, which I think I actually forgot to move forwards into the main I think mess. it might actually be the hero, because I think he did some freaky heroic combat. Oh, no. I had it, a rider of Rohan on the side that I'd forgot to move into the main mess. And I realised that if I could push it forwards around, it could take the camp. So my hero, I believe, called heroic combat to get out into heroic move range of the rider so he could push the rider of Rohan into the enemy camp. And I'm like, yes, these tactics, they actually work. That was a game against me. It was a hard lesson learnt. Yes. And I do remember bagging you the entire game. You until were bagging me the entire time. No, no he was, was bagging, bagging me because I'd sent half my army in peace. He, like, like he just split his force. Like he did all the things. That, like he played the tactics I played against Matt in the tournament where it's just like play like an idiot and then just something happens. <laughs> and and that's, that's what he did. He played like that's an absolute cool. idiot. And then he just found this yeah. right of Rohan idiot. Uh, on his own, going, where am I? Where am I? And I'm like, wait a second, there's a camp, and no one's gotten the camp, and I somehow got here. <laughs> Charge and ran into the yeah. camp. It's it's submarining at its best. Lull the opponent into a false sense of security. I think the interesting thing about that was after that game, I never lost another game of Storm the Camp. No, because you leave guards. I never <laughs> yeah. lost a game of Storm the Camp after that. Okay, so no. 
my first army, like most people, was goblins. It was battle games in Middle Earth. Uh, ended up building quite a sizable goblin army, which I have not played for a long time, which I may need to crack out again, actually, and have a go with. We'll see. Minus the shade. So yeah, Clash no, of Titans, Matt is bringing shade. goblins, everyone. Watch out. Take yep. anti-goblin yep. spam. That's what I'm taking. I, I just winked. I winked into the microphone. Winky doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> and your wink is really awkward. It is <laughs> you have to move your whole yeah, body. Yeah, with the glint off the tooth as you. <laughs> <laughs> so my first experiences were trying to get my brother Damien, my cousin Tom, and my father. Big mistake. Nope. They uh. Nope. They didn't have the mind for it. Unfortunately, that's my they excuse. They still anyway. don't. No. <laughs> well, Tom's not half bad. The others. I no. Don't Tom know. wins games because he literally does not stop rolling sixes. That's true. Yeah, he does do that. Tom, I'm going to make you listen to this and understand that you are the luckiest SOB. Anyway, so I think uh, aside from that, my first tournament is something I remember very clearly because it was actually a minimize. I think it was the second minimize that you ran, Kylie. And I remember I won my first game and I was actually playing Tiernan, who is now a very good friend of mine. First tournament game that I ever played. I also played David at that tournament, who had uh, some spiders in his army and absolutely hammered my goblins, like destroyed them. And then, unfortunately, I had to leave for a wedding. So I I didn't actually see out the end of that tournament, uh, which I was very disappointed by, but it gave me the taste. I remember that as well, because you were sending me messages over Facebook going, am I going to, because you were running late, and you were saying like, Am I going to miss the Matt was running late. I was like, no, you're coming from Tokemore. I'm going to make an exception to make sure I don't start the tournament until you get here. And I appreciated that. I did run like every tournament. I was also, I believe, the first person to hand in my list. And you were like, holy crap, how early are you? I think I posted it. I sent it to you like the day that you uploaded the players pack or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my first taste. And uh, I was addicted very quickly to the game. So Mm. it's been great. And I would say, tying tying in with meeting a lot of current friends that I have on my very first tournament, I think uh, my favorite moments around the hobby have been all the times where we've stayed uh, over, over with friends and like just chilled, just had a few beers, just talked about the game and talked about other stuff. Like there's been quite a few of them now when we've gone into state or we've had the other guys come here. We've gone out to dinner, we've done that sort of thing. And, and some of those times have uh, been the very best ones and like you like yeah. i know that's super sappy you and corny and stuff but no for real no, you I, are I, such a liar. I think those are the best times you are such a liar. true story you have never had a few beers no i've always had a lot yeah that's true i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> all right the next question shall we move along yes we shall it is from uh-oh jeremy and whistle this should be a doozy Ride an army that uses a troll drummer. Never have I seen one played. Okay, I've, I've got it. I've got it here. Are we going to write one in is like the 30 troll? seconds? No, we're just going to make it up what? right now. The troll drummer. Is that drummer. the neg to the courage plus the courage? Or is that the no, banner no. of bubble? He's the, um, or is it the extra a, move? He's the extra move for everyone. Okay, right, yeah. right, right. So he's exactly like an Eastling drummer, I think. But for yes. everybody. But and for an orc everybody. drummer and an Urukai drummer. Okay. Yeah. So, so we start start with the yeah. drummer. So we need someone to lead the drummer. Here we're going to have to lead the drummer. Mortal Troll Chieftain. Okay, done. So we've got two trolls with good starts. We want other stuff that we can and make. And they're both he- pretty hitty. I want a horde of orcs then, but because they're, they're the trolls and I'm going for mortal theme, I'm going to take the Moran and Yeah, Moran and orcs. Yep. So yep. I want to put a core of about 24 yep. Moran and orcs. Uh, let's drop. Let's zero. go drop a couple there because we need to drop one for the troll slot in the warband. We need sure. to drop let's another one that. for a banner. Yep. Let's yep. Twenty-two Moran and Ox. One. Who's going to lead those Moranans? 
Um, Randolph Captain, of course. Randolph yeah. Captain. Done. Done. Yep. Done. Now I want something fast. I want something to go. We've got a drum. No, I want something to flank. So I'm. No, we we got a drum, so we can make anything in the Mortal list. Yeah, honestly, move fast. what I'm thinking is something that you want to get there quickly. Great beast Maybe of some Mortal Stalkers might be a good idea. Ooh, I like Stalkers. Could stalkers. be cool, but they aren't fast. I'm thinking spiders. I'm thinking spiders or Morgul Knights. Uh, Morgul Knights. Mor- actually, Morgul Knights. Actually, drop that banner from that previous warband. Let's take the Dark Marshal on armored horse and a five Morgul Knights is our Done. first warband. Done. There you go. Done. Easy. So. S- s- like, adjust the points as you want. You've got a core of a couple of trolls. You've got the Dark Marshal who can do a bit of everything and then he boosts the warriors. Um, so he's not going to boost your troll, but he's going to boost your troll drummer. The trolls don't need boosting. The trolls don't need boosting. And you've got a solid, like, really tough infantry. And you, everything's moving super fast, so you're just basically throwing it as a ball forward. You've got your cavalry, which can be a little bit flexible, but can hit super hard. I like it. I like the list. Solid list. There you go, Jeremy. Hope you Done. enjoyed that one. Done. We All don't right. care about the points. Just, just <laughs> massage them. Just make it work. Yeah. Add more Moranans. That's yeah, it. More yeah. or less Moranans. Another warband of Moranans if you want. Some trackers on WAG if you want some bows. Yeah. yeah. So, our next question comes from Peter O'Kane. Why are heroic bluffs the best? And we might need another explanation or a quick explanation of heroic bluffs. Jeremy. So, heroic bluffs is, I don't know, well, people don't find this, but it, it's actually in the rule book. You've just got to find the page between the two pages of a heroic action. So, if you peel that apart... So you, you take your page, you peel it very carefully apart, and you've got the page about heroic bluffs. Everyone's gets stuck together. You but can also find this if you shine a ultraviolet light off a mirror onto the page, and you can sort of see the no, fade no, no. of it. It's written, it's written in moon letters. You've got to get the moon behind you, shining down onto the mm. page. It has to be a full moon on the 29th of February in a year that's divisible by four, and it'll be there. Yeah, I'm told. Because there's... there's 29th of February in a lot of years that aren't divisible by four. <laughs> anyway. Precisely. So the heroic bluff... Basically, it's all about your opponent expecting you to use might and wasting their resources with the assumption that you're going to use it. So the main way you use it at this point in time is that at the start of a fight phase, you say, I'm going to use might. Because you need to establish if you're going to use might. That's how, that's how the game works. Like you, can't, uh, you have to know if people are going to use might. So you say you're going to use might. Your opponent declares whether or not they're going to use might. But you've set up a situation where I've got, say... I'm up against a pretty powerful character. So I'm You've up got against... a Grimhammer Captain versus Birdo the Troll Chieftain. Okay, there we go. I've got Grimhammer Captain and a few Grimhammers against Birdo the Troll Chieftain. So what I do is I, I, I say, the, the normal tactic for this is you've got them surrounded, you do a heroic strike. Because a heroic strike is solid, extra fight value. But then what the opponent does is do a heroic strike as well. They've got a good chance of being above you, and then you throw away that point of might. So instead of that, you've got a couple Captains elsewhere in, in combat with models, I'm going to use might. And you stare. You stare down that bird of combat. You don't look at anything else. You just look at that combat and you start like fiddling with dice the amount for the combat. So you start dividing them up and adding them up and you grab different colors for different piercings and all kinds of stuff. And you just focus all the attention on that because it's all part of the bluff. And the opponent says, I'll use might. And what you do is you've got to set it up so you declare your, your, your fight afterwards. So if I have to declare first, I'll say... Heroic combat over there. Heroic combat with Dwalin. Heroic combat with Dwalin. Do you want to do any? I say, well, you have to do one. What are you going to do? And they'll they'll go heroic strike, of course, because they don't they think you're going to do a heroic strike, so they're going to heroic strike up. And I just figure, okay, I'm done. I'm done. No more. No more. I'm not going to use any over there. And the, the, the nice thing about this is it actually substantially reduces their chance of winning the fight. 
because suddenly they don't have a point of might to boost it up. So you've got a much better chance it's of winning It's particularly it. effective when your opponent has one might left on their character. Yeah. And usually they're heroes. Like, Burner's actually an exception, but most heroes can't knock down a single hero on their own. Like, it's just, it's so, it's, the chance of it happening is so low. Like, I actually use it more effectively against things like Tharendwil and those sort of ones which don't hit that hard. So they end up using all their things. Or a shielding hero. So you do it against a, a hero that's likely to shield, and you don't care. Like, you just fight the combat for a round. So someone that's got a shield, uh, a Kirion or whatever, I don't know who it is. So you do that, and it forces them to use might. And then next turn, they go to do it, and they, they, they're not going to fall for it again. Mm -hmm. So you, they, might, they might just say, I'm not going to use might at all. Or they might call might somewhere else. And then you can throw your strike in and do that. Or you just let it go. And just, just eventually rely on them running out of might and it increases the chance of that. So basically it's this idea that, that whatever they do, um, you've got to counter for it. It also really well works well the bulging tactic where you fight the combat next to them. You call a heroic combat. If they don't call a strike, you charge in and beat them up with a higher fight character. If they do call a strike, you charge somewhere else and you, you've done some bluffing there. So it's, it's basically the idea. It works mostly in the combat phase of throwing off the combats and it's so much fun to do the opponent and they just get confused. Can I raise one here? Because you've said the combat phase. I have found a way that works quite well to bluff in the move phase. Oh, please tell me. Because you cannot win two heroic moves in the same turn. So if the battle line's split by, say, a piece of terrain, and I really need a heroic move on the left side, I'll call the move on the right side if I've lost priority. If I don't really want to spend my might on the left, what I'll do is... Well, normally, I call it on the right. They call it on the right. I call it on the left. They go to call their second heroic move. I point out to the opponent, they can't win both of them. The opponent sits there <laughs> and goes, oh, I can't, I, but I want that one. But I don't want to waste a point of might. So they quite often don't call the heroic oh, move to counter the heroic move that I really need. Sometimes they do, in which case you've won at least one of them. Yeah. But the other one I do is if I don't really want to spend that might over there, but like, it would obviously be in the opponent's best interest to move first, I'll call one on the right. They go to call one on the right as well. I point out to them that I could call one on the left and that they couldn't win both of them. So the opponent will quite often, if they've got priority, call one on the left to stop me calling it. I wasn't going to call one anyway. They've used might to win a heroic move in an area where they were moving first anyway. David, you are my favorite player ever. I love that. I'm so good. I'm going to be bluffing in every phase. How can we do in the shoot phase? I'm going to call heroic accuracy. No, it doesn't work. You're calling phase. into a uh, heroic action in the shoot phase. There is either something really crazy going on in your game or uh, you're, you're high on something. You've got if Aragorn. Some, if someone calls a heroic shoot against you, you're probably going to need to call one back because something is going on. Yeah, the example in the Do book is a Moomark shooting yeah. at a trebuchet. So the trebuchet calls one to destroy the Howdar, which would drop all the archers on the ground. So the Moomark calls one to shoot back at I it. got a better one. Yes. The watcher in the water calling a heroic shoot to pick shoot at guys to pull him into combat with him to stop Dwin here and his bike reveal archers shooting the watcher in the water. Which so is that's an actual not, situation we had. That's not much of a bluff. Unless, no. No, it's, it's not a no, bluff. It at is. All. No, it's, if you, it's not. It it's is saying to burn out might on the um, watcher. You say, um, you're good. I'm going to use might. The opponent says, yeah, sure. You go, I've got Damrod doing nothing in that corner. He's about to move off the board. Damrod will call a heroic accuracy. Watcher then has to burn its might. Yeah, not bad. The oh. issue, of course, here was that uh, Dewin here actually would have shot the Watcher off the board. If, yeah. uh, so it's not <laughs> much for a bluff if you would destroy yeah. them yeah, 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 if they yeah. didn't call it. Basically, the idea is that you set yourself in a position where they call their might for almost no gain. 
It works better if you have more might than they do, of course. Yeah, so direct, yeah. directly answering the question, maximizes your might, minimizes your opponent's. Yeah, it just drains their resources for nothing. So our next question comes from Jacob Lucas. And this is a question that uh, Kylie would probably be best equipped that- for answering. When using a pure Nazgul army, how do you deal with the enemy's normal troops without losing too much will? Okay, so this is pretty tricky because the Ringwraiths have a hard time of taking out troops, but there is a way of doing it. And the way is the Witch King of Angmar on horse with Kran. Now, I'm assuming if you're taking a all-ringwraith force, you have a Witch King. So the idea behind the army is you use heroic combats to maximize your will. So you're using things like compels to move and block off enemy troops, and then you're charging in three ringwraiths onto one guy, one of your ringwraiths calls a heroic combat, then your ringwraiths go and charge one extra guy. That means you're spending three will to kill four models. The Witch King, same deal. If he charges two guys, calls a heroic combat, kills two, moves into another two, he kills four guys for one point of will. It's all about using heroic combats to make your will go further, because you only spend will at the end of the turn. Yep. On top of this, look out for models that are wearing the ring, such as Bilbo, Frodo, and Isildur. If you charge a model wearing the ring and you fight a combat with a model wearing the ring, you don't spend any will for the turn. Heroic combat against ring bearers. So or into can, ring bearers. Yes. Yeah. So you can buy extra couple of turns because it's all about will management and be very careful with your spells and how much will you're spending your spells because other, you need them to be in combat as well. The other option is to use the ring wraiths that refresh the will. So yeah. the Kamal the Easterling's got a way of doing it. And there's another one as well. The Knight of Umbar yeah. doesn't spend will if he wins combats. Kamal gets will back when he kills a model and the Undying gets will back when another model within six inches successfully casts so a spell. So if those become your combat wraith, army, yes. Yeah. They, they actually become really good combat wraiths. The Undying is a fantastic combat wraith because it yeah. can do it for almost ever because it just... The wheel just keeps going up. I usually found in a thousand point all wraith army with the undying, you'll generally get about 33 points of will. And my advice is the taint is probably not your best choice. No. Oh, no. you could smite down other ring wraiths. Basically, you race is what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Though if you can break him, he'd be useful. Wait, but why would you want to do that? Because if you wanted to kill your own wraiths, you would just use all their will for one black dart. Yeah, but this would be funnier. No, see, I don't want to kill my own models, so I rely on myself not rolling a six and then I roll all the sixes. So, in short, use heroic combats to make your will go further. And only actually attack the troops if you have to, because the idea is to break the army and then just avoid. Yeah. So, break the army, kill the characters, which you should be doing with an all-wraith army, and then just run away. Mm -hmm. And let let the natural attrition, unless you have to get a place, use your terror then. Yeah, and only kill the characters you need to, because you have nine race. There is nothing scarier than watching nine race cast nine drain characters on your hero and watching them run away. I've dealt with mortal troll chieftains with an all wraith army simply by throwing drain characters at them. So figure out which heroes you want to kill, which are things like auto pass stuff like shamans. They're ones you want to kill. Anything with a horn like Urkenbrand and your army's leader. Because yeah, you get the leader because it's almost always points. Because it's points for the winning the game. Okay, so our next question is from Mason, and he asks, what is the highest point in your tournament history and your lowest? So I'm going to start off with this one. My highest point, uh, I've actually, I've won a few tournaments, but I pointed this out the other day on the Facebook page. My highest point in my history was actually a third place, and it was at Silmarillion, I think 2014, I think either 2014 or 2013, and it was behind Jeremy and Kylie. 
But the reason I put that as my highest is I played three games that day. I think was it three games or four? Four games. Four games. Three of them I felt were three of the best games I'd played in my entire life, and the fourth was a narrow loss to Kylie, which I I also felt like I I knew there were things I could have done better, but I knew exactly what they were. And I felt like I justified that third place at a 34-player tournament. On the other hand, my lowest result, I think, was a second last. I don't think I've ever finished last, but I think it was a second last when I played in the final round in a wooden spoon playoff against Sean Rosato. And I was lucky enough to have uh, Ori kill a elven captain in on turn one with his slingshot. So that saved me from the wooden spoon. But that was the lowest place I've been in a tournament. I think it's lowest point and highest point, but you've gone for places, which is all good. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go for I've got a dual highest highest point. My my absolute highest point was my first best army award. Well, maybe it might be my first it was the first really meaningful one. I was going up against uh, I think it was Lee Carpenter who had a Dole Amroth army and this is a guy who'd won multiple golden demons, the Slayer Swords and all this sort of stuff. And he was the absolute favourite. And I painted my wood elf army i had green green wood elf army which you can still probably see today it was it was my elf color scheme basically i had my my uh grays and brown wood elves all painted as well as i could on a scenic base and i put it out there and i had some trees on the base and it was it was looking really good and i i managed to upset mr carpenter on it and it, there was a bit of a shock around the scene because he was pretty much like everyone he had the name but unfortunately he took an army which was painted a pretty much a base standard, a very good base standard, but he hadn't put all the detail into all the models. Where I had really gone to town on all the models and managed to, to surprise people, and and I was really proud of that, and it gave me huge confidence in my painting of armies because it's not my best army now, but it was it was for the time it was really good. It was much higher standard than a lot of the ones in the scene. My other high point was doing a team tournament with uh, Kylie going to Adelaide, and Kylie's going to yeah. say this one as well. And we uh, went through. And we close. actually it's up there. we 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 gamed the system. There were some some little rules there where like we both had a, our armies. We we decided to basically take one army. So we we planned a thousand five hundred point army. If you took heroes, if you had multiples, so you had both had Elrond, you rolled a die, and only one person got to use your Elrond. So we went all unnamed heroes. So we didn't get to do that. So we went a dragon, a drake, like a, a orc shaman, gun to bed shaman, or goblin shaman, something like that. And a gun to bed captain, I think it was. An mm -hmm. A goblin shaman. So it was only like four heroes. This was the old days. We also had a drum in there as well. So we had helpful. like a million bat swarms. And then Eight a bunch bat of goblins. swarms to be precise. And Kylie's job was to take all the powerful stuff and just hammer one side of the force. While I took about 500 points of goblins with just rubbish and just held my own. Like, so my aim was to, to like for the whole tournament pretty much, was to take on 800, 850 points worth of stuff with 500 points of goblins and just break even. Now, the first game we got there, and Kylie's hammering one side of the force like we planned. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, Kylie, I'm actually hammering my side as well. And I was taking on dwarves and elves, and, and like, because <laughs> everyone else played it like as two separate armies. So I had my like handful of goblins taking on like 750 points of the toughest elves and dwarves in Middle Earth, and I'm winning the fights. And I'm like, what's going on? And we managed to kill heroes almost simultaneously. And it's just it got to the point where I killed Boromir, captain of the White Tower, with this amazing bat swarm, dragon, drake combo. And then Jeremy turns around to me and says, I've killed Balin with a single prowl and a bat swarm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later that turn, I do another amazing move where I pull this weird combat, horror combat thing and kill Faramir. And then Jeremy turns around and says, oh yeah. I trapped Glopendal and killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on the tournament, the same thing happened. Yeah, I was telling Reconnoiter. I turned to Jeremy and go, 
I just got a bat swim off the table and Jeremy's holding a bat swim in his hand and going, I did too. <laughs> and I've got a handful of models. And, um, Kylie was scared of Army of the Dead. And I had Army of the Dead, Aragorn, and like another, like Radagast or something on one was side. Army of the Dead, Aragorn, and Radagast the Brown. On, on my side. Like I, I was taking on the majority of the force. And Kylie was so scared. I said, oh, look, don't worry about it. I've got it here. I've got my handful of goblins. And I went there and I've just got like my one goblin captain just like munching one Army of the Dead at a turn. And all my goblins are pulling the most annoying like maneuvers. So like he couldn't charge me. So I was just absolutely, like literally, I was fighting like one or two combats a turn. And if the army did charge me, I'll run a spearman up and like win the combat on dice rolls. If I'll never charge them ever. And I'll just move models like five and a half inches away, six and a half inches away, just random scatter. And Maricorn didn't want to charge because I was going to ambush him with all the prowlers. And, and this is the funny thing about this game. I'm on the other side of the table fighting off this Rohan force with ease. And I'm, I'm panicking because I'm like, holy crap, Jeremy's fighting Army of the Dead. He doesn't have the Shaman. He doesn't have the Dragon. He doesn't have either Dragons. So I'm like doing everything in my power to send him all these resources. I'm, I'm, You're panicking. I've, got, I've sent this Shaman 20 inches across the board in two turns. This Dragon's on this massive 24-inch heroic combat. And I'm sending everything fairness, I've got across the ter- table. And I turn and Jeremy's beating back Army of the Dead with, you know, <laughs> 30 odd goblins. <laughs> at one point you said oh do you want the shaman over there and i turned to you and went we have a shaman <laughs> that would be really handy against an all-terror army because <laughs> i'm fighting with no heroes it's just just absolute uh, rubbish <laughs> yeah so that was that was my highs my lowlights i think there's oh, i'm not gonna mention too much of that there's a couple of tournaments i had to leave due to just like conflicts with with players and and just this got too nasty i just had to walk away from it it just wasn't in the right spirit of it thankfully this hasn't happened for years like it's probably been like nine ten years seven it's been a long time it's been a long long time and it was just just total total misunderstanding and people standing on it so i'm glad that hasn't happened in the past so that's that's my low point okay um high point apart from recent tournament with my neither white tower doing crazy stuff it would Probably the first couple of tournaments where I finally got my m- new Moomark painted and his new colour scheme, and I'm like, right, yeah, and I just went chomping on all sorts of stuff, and it got taken down in great heroic fights, and it, I pulled off uh, the rescue mission. I had a warband, war uh, Haradrim chieftain with bow, handful of archers, and they deployed up in this tower on the Rohan board, and the Goblin King, the shorter one with small base, started climbing up the stairs, and he was hacking his way through guys I was sending to stop him, and... The goblin archers were on fire and they, they, they were tearing me apart. And this watchtower was in trouble. It got down to the chieftain, his last two lads, with the goblin king at the gates and, you know, surrounded by archers. And he's like, lads, we're in trouble. I'm calling Freevac. The Mumak pulls up next to the watchtower. There's been a couple guys shot off one side. So he's like, go, go, go. They jump over into the Mumak. It gets pinned by a troll, and he's like, get us out of here, go, go, go. But there's this troll in combat, so we beat the troll out, and the goblin king's at the top of the tower about to jump. And I think one of his goblins managed to jump over, but they managed to get the Moomark moving and pulled away with the goblin king shaking his fists at them, and they sort of battered <laughs> down that lone goblin that got on board. And like, yes, mission accomplished. We got him, lads, we got him. Then again... One of the other games I played, the enemy sort of tried something similar. Like, they knew that I would have to pass by this piece of terrain because he'd positioned heroes that I just had to kill. So when I pulled in to smash them, all these guys started jumping onto the howdah and they actually worked their way up the levels. And there's the chieftain on top going, kill them, bring them down. But they're just climbing up and they got to, he was like surrounded because he was on his top little bit, but they had guys on all the lower levels. Ah, good times. 
Uh, the bad times. Oh. I think it's every time that, that you've played the Moomark and the opponent hasn't enjoyed it. Yeah, it would have... Mm. Because the Moomark, it's an incredible model, but you've got to get into the spirit of we're not playing Lord of the Rings, we are playing Hunt the Moomark. And there are some opponents that just don't do that. They just go, no, this is too different. I don't want to play this. And it's just it's a drag for both of you, which is why I've stopped taking it in tournaments because I had a tournament where my opponents just went, like, what do I do against that? Like... Throwing everything into a Moomark. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's why I tried last tournament and I had a guy with, you know, great big sword, so it worked. But some people just don't get into the spirit of it and it ruins it for both of you. And you're just left, sit, you're both sitting there going, well, now what? This is incredibly unsatisfying. Yeah. So, yeah. pretty much, I only take the Moomark now against opponents who I know can get into the spirit of, it's coming closer! Bring the pikes! Bring the swords! Slow it down, men! But yeah. With much screaming and arm waving, and you know. Anyway, moving on. Right. So mine. Oh, this is a tricky one. I'm trying to think of. You had all that time to think, and you. I know. Think. I'm still thinking. I've got so Just many distracted good by moments. all the arm waving. And yeah, yeah, you <laughs> were the first time I went. One time I went to. All right. No, I'm gonna pick similar. Really, I think it was 2012. I think it was 2012. I took Dolamra for the first time, and I had recently had some pretty good success with the Lamroth playing at some other random players and stuff but this was I think the first tournament where I felt like I was in control of the entire tournament I was against a good pool of players all my games were against really tough opponents and it was one of those games where one of those tournaments where I felt I didn't make a bad move I didn't make one bad little misstep everything I did was I played perfectly had a fantastically painted army, had this amazing display board, and it was that one of those tournaments where I went, I've got this when I won my last game. My low light, and I think Matt probably knows which low light Storm this is. Storm the camp. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess uh that CanCon. That CanCon. Yeah. Um this particular CanCon, I started off day one doing really well. Day two, I was having a rough try. I time my games timed out just before we were about to roll the last combat, I was like, Lords of Old School to the death. We had to kill every single model in the army. I was fighting a 72 model Moria army. I brought it down literally to one shaman and had it surrounded with Gulvar and all these other things. <laughs> I was about to, we were about to start doing that last combat and then time was called and it ended up being a draw. Hadn't, my army hadn't broken. It was lots of like these weird draws that I was picking up. But the low light was in the very last round of the tournament. I was due to play this one particular Rohan player. And this this guy had a... He was an overprotective father that had thought that I was bullying his son in previous games because I managed to defeat his son in a game. And he decided to take his rage out on me, at which point my game was basically forfeit. I didn't get to play the last game of the tournament. And because of that, I got a draw for that last game. And because of that draw in the last round, even though my opponent forfeited, I lost the tournament and came second because of it. Can you remind who won that tournament? It was you, Matt. Was it me? It was you. Is that me? Is that and the first tournament not, that I won? <laughs> well done, Matt. It was Matt. How much but did you pay it wasn't, him? <laughs> it wasn't 
the reason that I came he, uh, second? He acted it up really well, actually. It was, I slipped him a 20, and he just went full off it, Kylie. Oh, forfeits are really hard. Like, you can yeah. even be honorable forfeits. Like, occasionally you get someone that says, they get a phone call from their wife or whatever, and just say, I just have to go. Like, I've got family issues. And you just, that, that's an honorable forfeit. There's nothing wrong with that. The forfeit for the, the this, awkward stuff is just Yeah, this though. this was one where he was he was up, like, ready to flip the table. He was yeah. shouting at me. It was, like, drawing attention from everyone else. And the TO came rushing over and, like, said, you need to calm down. And the thing that really frustrated me, and I've been in situations like before where I've been the last round and I'm going for, I know I'm on the top two player against the, this is a great opponent and like I'm trying to go and then they end up beating me or it ends up being a draw and I come second before. I've had that happen. I've had it happen against Josh, I've had it happen against Jeremy. But the thing that really Just bothered, those two people, no one else. <laughs> the thing that really bothered me about this one was I didn't get a chance to even play that game mm-hmm. out and have a chance at trying to win that tournament. And that's what bums me out the most about it. But that happens rarely. So that's good news there. I don't like these low light questions. They're harsh. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's not really what you want to hear. I mean, it happens. We it should happens. have done the low lights first and then moved on. And we then should have. We should have. Oh, well, maybe uh. I'll do some funky editing. Do we, Probably not. Questions? We should move on to the next question. Is I think we question? have two questions left. Okay, okay. First one's from uh, Callie. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who uh, was one of the winners of our AMR scenario competition. Oh can write some serious scenarios. So the question is, I think Gothmog the Orc leader is a much too powerful combat hero in the game if you compare him to the movie. Do you find some heroes in the game too powerful if compared to the book slash movies? Yeah, I can see that. Like in the book, yeah. he was basically a... Like, had what Lieutenant was... Orc. Yeah. I said it back like in the last job orc. In the, I think it's if you watch the extended version of the movie, he is limping badly. He can barely walk. But in the shortened version of the movie, he's just all, like, ugly and, like, bruised yeah. up. And he's like... Arr. He almost looks like he's got cerebral pause. Yeah. In, in yeah. The, but but like, I, I don't know if he does or not, but it looks like no. it to me. But in the shortened version of the movie, like, they, they throw a giant rock at him and he just stares it down and takes one step to the side and just, you know, contemptuous. I don't care that you've thrown a giant rock at me. In the extended version, he's disabled and actually can't move out of the way. That's why he's standing there staring it down as it comes at him. So it's just... He's a completely different orc between the two versions of the movie. Mine is not so much a, a single hero, but a, but a, a lot of guys. I think the fiefdoms compared to the Gondor Imre warriors. Hulk. No, no, no. I'm not gonna say Imre. I, I do think they're about Imre Hill, but I think the fact that the fiefdoms are not your standing army, they're your, your peasants and these guys that occasionally fight that have some some relic armor. Whereas and Gondor are your four. professionals. Gondor are your professionals. They fight three. I think I think they boosted them for for not a lot of good reasons. And the rangers, which are the conscripted refugees sent back into Athelion, yes, are fight four hit on yeah, threes. Yeah. No, they got those all around. Like the the poor Gondor warriors, I think were let down a bit. Mm-hmm. David, do you have any? Um, things that are too powerful or not powerful enough. Um, some ways I think the Balrog is. Yeah, is I was going to say the Balrog is a bit underwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think there's a there's quite a few things that are underwhelming. It's much more common than overwhelming. Yeah. I think oh, actually one that I find is a bit overwhelming is Golem. Yeah, yeah Golem's five really with good, a yeah. with a half. Like I almost fell off my chair. Went in and said, "I said, what's his fight?" And he said, five. Five. I yeah. went, "How the hell is this little hobbing creature?" Like he was four for the longest time. Even at yeah. four with a half roll, that's fine. Even but that, five. I mean, can you really imagine Golem out fighting a like a warrior of Minas Tirith? Even even yeah. when invisible, really? it's like, still a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Like he's meant to be tenacious, not skillful. Like, another one that I find just, a bit. He doesn't give up, but he's not. Another yeah. one that's underwhelming is Amdua. He just seems to die at the blink of an eye. Mm. No, I like him, do. He's a dragon knight with 
two attacks instead yeah, of three. I, it's I a just, bit weird. I just, yeah, I know. I, I just value the banner reroll. Yeah, oh, yeah no, that no, is, that, that, and the I, I might, and the might regain if you can, if you can. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. Yeah, I could do. A, I love another attack, but yeah. I think he's okay. Um, for the and he wasn't in the movie, so Erkenbrand like, is another one that's a bit, bit too powerful for what he does. The high elf storm caller next to the wood elf storm caller. Like yeah, we are the professionals. We have towers of magic with tomes uh, of law. Randall's instant cast ah. ability. <laughs> Although I, I got one, it. I got one. Erkenbrand. Yes. We just said Erkenbrand. Oh, we did. Do we? Yeah. No, he's same did. again. It's worth saying. Well, I didn't think he did, but Erkenbrand way, way overwhelming compared to his role in the film. Um, some yeah. of the cheap yeah. warband heroes, such as Denethor, is one. Um, Baragond and Damrod, I feel they're a bit too cheap for what they do. No, but I think it's more like you look at this and you just go, "How is this model doing all this stuff?" And I think Golem's a fine example of that. Um, I think Shelob. I think because yes. of all the upgrades. Oh my god, how do we not think of Sheila? It's like, like it's supposed to run, doing that, but no. she's the biggest tank in the game. Like, like, like she's almost harder to kill than the Mumak, it feels like. Though in the book, she was meant to be impossible to wound. Like, only one character in the entire history of Middle-earth has managed to pull it off. But she's supposed and that to, was she, luck. She's supposed to run yes. when she got wounded. If she not, gets not, wounded, not she shrug runs. It off. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. yeah. So she's meant to be an absolute tank, but if she's wounded, she's meant to run. Yeah, but she just doesn't do that anymore. You have to like put like the best ring race in the game into her multiple yes. times. I will send the nine to yeah. defeat, you know. I got another one. Um, Shagrat Warleader. I never really understood why they gave him that mega profile. It was... Yeah. If yeah. they're going to give any Urukai or any modern game an ascended profile, let's. Let's. Like, yes. let's. Let's. underwhelming. Give, simple, simply give him defense six back. Mm-hmm. Fine. Fine. He's fine. Up his fight value by a point. He's Give still, him some will. Still nice. Give him some fate. Most of the... I think this is the same for many people who are fans of the books and the movies. Most of the changes to the movies were kind of meh, but whatever. They had to do it. Lurt's best edition of all time. Amazing. Mm. Fantastic scenes with him. Uh, love having him in the game. Wish he was better. He, he's a good character, but he's he's a really low-level character, whereas yeah. I want someone who Boromir is scared of. Yeah. I want someone who, like, you look and go, wait a second, do I really want to take on that guy? He looks pretty tough. Like, they did that with the Azog and Bolg, and I think Lurtz deserves a profile that's almost at those levels. Someone who goes toe-to-toe with Aragorn and intimidates He him. should be the goth mob. Come on. They yeah. should swap profiles. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Okay. Um, Lurtz War Leader. Done. Done. Yeah, just swap. Lurtz no, War Leader. No, and just change to Lurtz. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really I love it. Let's All right, actually, I got one more, one yep, more, yep. one more model that's a bit too overpowered. I reckon you can say two. Saruman the White. Which version? The 150 point version with the 18 inch range spells. I think the hundreds. He's pretty powerful, but he the 170 point one. The 170 point one is fantastic, but he's on foot. So. The the foot is a big weakness. I just feel 160 Only points. Only in a mounted for that. army. I mean, this is the so well, cheap. for a long period of time. This was the greatest wizard in Middle Earth. I mean, yeah, no, he I, is the greatest. For 150 points, I feel at least bring him up to 170 in the same price as Gandalf. Yeah, that is. Yeah, but what, that, then you're talking about points. No, you're not talking more about the, like, we're just talking about the underwhelming overall yeah, profiles. Yeah, yeah. it's oh, more yeah, why is enough. Gandalf more points than Saruman rather? Yeah. Next question and final question comes from Huon, and it's something we discussed a little bit earlier. It is, what are some of the best ways to play with and against a shade? Okay, Huon, wait, wait. Huon thinks it seems like a very interesting I'm going to say in the most express way possible. The best way to fight with the shade is get, the sh- get every combat in the shade. The best way to fight against the shade is get every combat away from the shade. Yep, simple. Simple rules. We used to, to have by. a saying, Huon, uh, called don't fight near the shade. 
basically what the shade does is it empowers everything in your army to be super powerful. So if you're behind on fight value, it suddenly effectively puts you ahead on fight value. If you're ahead on fight value, it puts you way ahead on fight value. So you win way more combats than you normally would straight out. The more dice you put into it, the more chance you have of winning. It's fantastic. The point is it's, it's a massive range, but it's not the whole battlefield. So you either shoot out everyone. Once your army breaks, it disappears. Like yeah. it's gone two turns usually. It's gone. Because it passes the first one, it fails the second one. So break the army by shooting or break it by spreading your army out and fight combats over as wide a front as literally possible. And then anything near the shade, literally run away. Maybe pin it. Maybe one model that goes in and, and tries to distract it. And then everyone else just runs away. And just don't fight near the shade. Don't fight near it at all. It's, it's, good. Yeah. it's so good. It depends how good your opponent is. If they're going to make an arrow leave an opening, by all means, kill it. Kill it good and proper. I once doom boxed a shade. So I had my battle line in the middle, just wandered backwards, the sides turned, formed this box shape. For some reason, the army and shade wandered straight into the box. I went, okay, brilliant. Hasharan swung around the back, went straight into it. But most opponents won't do that to you, in which case, yes, avoid the shade or just focus hard. Like, sure, that those three orcs are in shade range, but there's terrain between them and whatever. Slay the three, move away before the rest can catch you. Just don't fight shield wall to shield wall next to a shade. Yeah, I think that's the thing. The shade received so much popularity because people literally just went, here's my shield wall of orcs. Here's my shield wall of dwarves. Throw them together and then let's see who wins. There was no maneuvering and that's why the shade was so powerful. But and once it's a you, passive effect. You don't yeah, have to think about it. You don't have to think about it. But once some smarter players came in and went, why would I fight with a disadvantage and said, you know what? I'm not going to charge you head on. Instead, I'm going to shoot you. And then the shades are only gone, crap, I'm not getting any you. So they keep running at you and eventually you whittle them down. And because... they run at one side of your army and you just run away. You just like, yeah. you just part away from it because it's not that fast. Yeah. And the Achilles heel of the shade and always has and always will be is his courage one. Once you break that army, it's got to go. It's going to disappear. Call for some sentinels. It takes a lot. Sentinels and Spectres love fighting in shades because you actually have to end up surrounding them with your own I've models. got a great yeah. story about yeah, Sentinels. Yeah, Gulliver as well. There's another one. So I used mm. I used a magical... Because he had all the he had a shade with a goblin army and all the goblins had fury, so I couldn't move the shade around. So I think what, what did I do? I call winds and pushed away a goblin because it was a magical power. Yeah, not, that's it, yeah. And then I had the Sentinels, you know, send the away. shade away. Yeah, yeah. So half the game I spent just trying to move the shade back over to the combats and the combats back over the shade. Yeah, once work. it starts going away, it just yeah, keeps going it away. Just keeps going. Mm -hmm. yeah. Another one was uh, I, tr I, I used about 20 goblins, not for fighting, but to prevent Gulliver from landing anywhere so that it could heroic combat into the shade. It was a complete waste of time and I just got annihilated in the combats by Kylie. So there's another, another example. Another great way of... Um dealing with Shaden, what I've seen Tannen do is alpha strike it. You send a mounted hero in, then you march the rest of your army to box out the combat. And then you have your one super powerful hero like Boromir or Faramir with three points of might, so they don't care about the minus one that much against a shade. And then you win the combat, knock it down, you go, right, I've got eight dice at fives to wound with three points of might backing myself up. I find up. something like Faramir mounted with a lance is really good at this because the yeah, wounds become really reliable. You need that first opening. You need yeah. to be able to get that character through. And it actually gets knocked down. Like, that's what a lot of people forget. It doesn't like yeah, only strength one. Yeah. I've also seen, um, I've seen Caleb do this. I've seen him, obviously, with a bit of help, but I've seen him legless auto hit a guy behind the shade and use a storm claw to push him 2d6 back inches. Sorceress Blast just to push the shade straight through the lines and get him out of range. Floy can give dwarves three turns worth of 
just well, normal of, combats. Of, of normal combats, yeah. which can be enough for the dwarves to kill. If to, they're going to gonna dominate the fight phase, use the other phases. Shoot them. Hit them with your throwing weapons. Hit them with your Moomuk. Hit them with your Impaler camels. Actually, that's one way I've seen yeah. uh, seen, seen it die. Uh, camels and a Gorgoth beast. Yeah. With Kardush and uh, Undying. Undying was throwing mana, black darts, and Kardush was throwing fireballs. You know, killing a couple of guys here and there, and then the camels and the yeah. great beasts were just doing damage before combat, and it didn't matter what the combat yeah. results were because yeah, you were yeah. killing yeah. in every other phase. They've claimed the fight phase, claim the other phases. Yeah, yeah. But as a sh- like, I played Shade very recently. What I hated was when people spread out because, like, I ideally want my whole army to be in Shade range because it's such a big chunk of the army. Like it was, it's a hundred points. Point it's a sink. massive, and it doesn't do any kills on its own. Like you actually put it in combat just to stop it being moved. Like it, that's the best defense against the spec, uh, the what are sentinels and those sort of things. It's just charge into combat because mm-hmm. it doesn't die in combat against normal troops. Mm-hmm. But you want your whole army in that block. If your enemy lets you do that, you're all good. If the enemy doesn't let you do that, then you're in a bit of trouble. Or play the mission as well. Like I came up against your shade and the everybody wanders on. Yeah, but you so played I, in the auto yeah. win if you lose priority. So mission. I hammered down onto anyone that wandered on nowhere near the shade. And then it was just model count near the objective, so flood. Yeah, yeah no, flood. no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Cool. So playing playing the objectives wins games. There are lots yeah. of ways to deal with the shade. To be honest, is it that interesting? No, it's very passive. But the ways you deal with it are interesting. Yeah, look, I I, I like it, and I like that we have ways of doing dealing with it at the moment. And it's it's one that went out of fashion quite a bit in Melbourne for quite a while now because the people were designing their armies to take on a shade. Because it was such a popular model that everyone had something to do. What do you do if you take a shade? That was a checklist. And so people either took mass shooting or heaps of movement or some magic or whatever to take advantage of it. And then it just went out of vogue because the shade players suddenly weren't doing anything because they had pretty much the same list all the time. A bunch of orcs with a shade. It totally puts you in a hole and there's not much you can work around with it. There's not, not many options to playing with a shade. So, you know. yeah. But it's a good model. But if you are going to take a shade, you need to make your opponent fight near you. How you do that is up to you. And I have invisible shade. And send me a PM if you want to know how I made it. Hint, hint. This is again with a secret winking. All right. Do we have any more questions, Matt? I think that's it. Nice. That is the longest Entmoot ever. Well done. Which is actually the shortest Entmoot in terms of trees. Yes. Thank you very much. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. And remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.